Well, everybody, thank you for joining us. And uh, this is season two, first episode from 2022. And a lot has happened in, in the Mr. Community in general, a lot of features, and a lot has happened also since you were last here, not a year ago, but almost a year ago. How have you been, Robert? It's, it was a very interesting journey this, this last year. So, my, so much has happened to, to Mr. and was, it was great this last year. Yeah, I can't imagine. There's been a lot uh, in, in general from Mr. and a lot from, from uh, you as well. And a lot of, uh, of, of work by Alan as well that uh, you're joining us here today. How are you, Alan? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. No, uh, on the contrary, thank you. And I'd like to thank Trinix and Sentient6 for uh, making this possible. And everybody here at the Mr. FPGA Discord, thank you for, for joining us. And uh, Alan, uh, have, what have you felt from the, the community and the new features in, in this year? I know it's way too much to cover. I'm not going to, I'm not trying to burden you. I'm just talking about generalities of, of what you felt this year in general. Uh, the most exciting thing this year has been all the new people joining and a lot of people who are amazing developers already or who have other backgrounds but have been trying to come up to speed on uh, Mr. FPGA development. And for me this year, it's been wild. Um, uh, Jimmy Stones pretty much took over most of the arcade things I was doing, which has been great mm -hmm. and doing other things too. Um, the input tester is really neat and really needed. Uh, and so that's what's different this year is there's still a lot of people I'm trying to, as always, help people come up to speed. If anyone ever wants to send me a note, I'm happy to one-on-one -on -one make sure you can code on Mr. But it's meant that I, I think I had a little more time to work on other things. So it's been nice. That's good. And, and yes, that's some very important work you've been doing because you've been uh, helping people to, to get uh, started with this. You have a bunch of information out there for this uh, purpose, right? Could you, could you talk a bit about that? Yeah, I have a set of tutorials. I did a few videos. I need to make some more videos because my last video kind of ends abruptly because I was completely confused about what was going on. And so I just hit stop. Um, and I should probably fix <laughs> that. Uh, but now I think I understand it. And actually, Jimmy took, picked up from that video and finished it. So he and I are supposed to get together and actually hopefully make one together. Um, and it's kind of neat because the end of my last video sort of is the beginning of the input tester. So it would be good to to sort of do that with him. Um, but yeah, so I hope uh, a lot of people coming online and coding, and it's been fun to watch. So, uh, And I think someone else is making videos now, too. I have just, they're long. I've only watched a little bit of one, but they seem really good, too. So that's exciting. I need to link to those. Yeah, yeah, that'll, that'll be useful because it's, it's, it's impressive how much the community has grown and, and how much work has uh, been put into, in, into making this happen. And it's amazing. It's, it's really exciting. Robert, you've, you've also been working on a bunch of things. How, how do you feel about this last year? So I must say I missed a lot of things that uh, happened uh, for Mr. FPGA. So I think uh, Ellen has seen much more happening. I was so busy with, with the projects I've been doing. I didn't look left and right and just work on, on the things I looked at. It's a bit sad sometimes that I... Uh, don't get the overview of what happens and sometimes I ask stupid questions about things that are clear to everyone because I just can't keep up with, with all the things that are happening. 
for my for my project, it, it was it was working fine. So if I can concentrate that on on that, it, it's working great for me. But it's it's difficult sometimes if you can't look at everything. I can imagine, but uh, it's the kind of thing that happens when you are. I'm gonna use a metaphor here: deep diving into some stuff, right? And and that's what you've been doing. You've been uh, going very low level and deep diving, and then resurfacing again to check what's going on. And uh, I I completely understand uh, the feeling. Uh, I mean, I've I've never done work as technical as yours, but it, it's difficult to keep uh, the holistic or global view of things and then go into very specific views. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's very difficult if you if you look at at something work on, let's say on, on some some component or some some feature for one month two months, and you don't look at anything else in that time, and everything that happens just goes goes away and and you don't you don't see it you miss it completely. I understand, and and how do you manage that? It, it's I believe it's going to be interesting for many of in the audience because. Uh, at least for me, uh, uh, that's why I'm trying to empathize and project something that might be wrong. But it's it's really hard. It's like building a, um, a castle in the sky of little details, and when you go to the global view, everything crumbles, and you need a lot of time to get back. Does that happen to you, or or can you focus and 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 ignore the rest of the world? So usually I ignore the rest of what uh, what's happening because it's just too much to uh, to keep track of all the other things. Uh, typically, I, I ask some questions uh, afterwards if I if I missed something or a new features in and what should I do with that? And it's fine. I, I can usually keep up with the things at least what I need, but I cannot keep track of everything that's happening. I can imagine that it causes a stress if you try to do it right yes or anxiety so, at least so yeah. I, I usually don't even try that because uh, it, even the way I, I do it it already costs a lot of time and um, I decided I, I cannot spend more time on on other things that are going on left and right it wouldn't work out yeah I, I can imagine and and it's good that you can focus and so so everybody that's wondering if they could ask questions, you can simply post them in, in, in the chat and we'll take a look at them and, and go. We are going to, of course, talk over what's happened. Uh, I'm glossing over uh, on both Alan and Robert's work previously because there's a whole episode talking about that, but I, I'm still going to mention that they've done a lot of things. Uh, for for example, Alan has uh, worked on the MRA uh for the arcade and uh, has worked on Mr. Cave, has worked on the vertical and uh, flip switches for arcade rotation, organizing scripts, improving a lot of stuff in old computers. We're going to talk in, uh, about that. I'm just giving generalities of what we covered in the last episode and the high score module and um, and the core framework for many of those cores. And, and Robert, Robert has worked on Game Boy Advance, has worked on Lynx prior to, in, uh, to the episode. Uh, Game Boy and the AO486 uh, and the improvement of of caution speed up on NAS on mappers save states uh, that's that's very important in the way that he works that he described previously and I'm sure we'll, that we'll touch in in this episode and um, of course uh, Robert has worked on, on this year on the on two important cores 
mainly, not not exclusively, that we'll cover. Uh, that's Wonderswan and PlayStation. And uh, for for Alan, we have a lot of ground to cover because he's been working on rounding up a course and improving details. Uh, these kind of things are, are important, as well as his work on, on creating community and integrating developers into the community, uh, because it, it only makes things more precise. And, and it uh, adds up to this fact that we were talking about with Robert, about having a global vision and having a particular uh, focused vision. How do you feel about that uh, difference, Ellen? Yeah, I, I think I would agree with Robert that I also get kind of stuck in my own little very narrow thing. I think it's with this FPGA development, it, it's like that. I think for people who haven't done the development of a core, there's sort of three things to learn. You have to, maybe not three, but you have to learn, you know, enough Verilog and VHDL and kind of electrical engineering-ish stuff to be able to just write any logic and think for software people, it's hard to think like hardware people and, and think about the logic. So that's one area. You need to know, I guess, second is sort of about the Mr. Framework, which is usually less important, although I've been um, trying to document it on the wiki, which has been making it easier for the experienced developers who come on board. Um, but the third part, and I think probably what Robert's talking about, but I don't want to put words in his mouth, is just you pick a core, obviously, like PlayStation or um, the ones I've been working on some classic computers. And mm -hmm. it's funny, like I added tape support to the Acorn Electron. And actually, David Wood, who hasn't worked on um, Mr. I think he's out working on his garden, he said. But he hasn't worked on Mr. in a year or so. <laughs> he had some stuff kind of hanging half done. So I finished the Electron. And I forget, maybe it was Adam or something else he had almost done. But I don't, I, I didn't even know. I added tape to the core, but I didn't even know in the OS how to get, like, load a tape. So, you know, it's it's really kind of funny. I'm trying to use this computer, and I have absolutely no idea. I'm just banging on the keys and 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 you know, googling how do I use an Acorn. Um, but my point is just like we have to go really deep, and eventually there are a couple of problems I want to fix with some of these BBC. I added the disk support from Mist over to Mister for the BBC, um, but I'd like to add tape, but it's missing a serial chip and its other chip <laughs> in. And I'm going to have to print the schematics out or at least pull them up and start highlighting them and trying to figure it out. And so you end up going really deep. And I'm kind of lazy, so I don't like to go that deep usually. Um, yeah, on one quick thing, and then I'll hand it back to you, is I, I do, I'll post in the chat. I have been also trying to work on the documentation. And I compiled a PDF viewer that, um, that I found on the internet that's really good and changed it around slightly just to have it work with the joystick and added some things. There's a build on Unstable, although now it's a little old, I should put a new one up, for viewing PDFs and markdown and text. And I pasted into the stage chat text a Google Drive where I have PowerPoints and Google Drive documents that make cheat sheets. And my hope is that we'll have one for each of the computers so that when you need to learn how to load a tape or load a disk, it'll be really easy. And you'll just hit, I don't know, F12 and docs and it'll pop up. So, yeah, And that's something that's, uh, that, that will be amazing for helping out people. Because just as you mentioned, if, if, if you're tackling the problem and, and you sometimes don't know how these things are supposed to work inside these old systems, because, you know, with, it, it's obvious to everyone uh, of us, but 
with Mister, you are dealing with the same methods as with the original hardware in general. Of course, there's some simplification or virtualization, right? But but you're dealing with the way that you load the things in the original hardware, and sometimes that requires uh, this background and and this documentation uh, PDFs that can be presented in, in inside the system is something that will help a lot of people. Yeah, I hope so. And um, yeah, and it's in and so I think that. It's been fun watching Robert work on all these cores, and he goes really deep and is amazing at it. And what I've been doing recently is um, trying to fix like the same problem across everything. So if I learn just enough about like this one video chip that's in the Acorn uh, Atom, the Laser 310, the um, Alice, and it's in a few more computers too. But I just took all of those and tried to fix it once, and then you know <laughs> then I look like I'm making lots of changes because I can take that same chip and upgrade, you know, three or four computers at once. And, and I f was hoping to do the same thing with the tape support. Um, and I started to build like a tape progress dialog because tapes are so slow and annoying and I wanted mm -hmm. to know when they were done. So I started to roll that into different cores. Um, so that's what I've been trying to do is like find one thing. And that's what I did with the dip switches way back when on arcade. It's like I, that was the first thing mm -hmm. I did and I learned how to do dips. And then I'm like, okay, well, I'm not very smart, but I can at least add dip switches to the same type of thing to every single core and just get it done. And, and that's really valuable because it, it rounds up uh, the work and improves it to be accurate. And uh, accuracy is something that's uh, pretty important to the Mr. Project. And completeness, right? Accessibility. All those things are, are really important. I, th I think this uh, this new PDF viewer and uh, and the sheets you prepared it, it's really helpful for those who start new because if you boot up some some old computer or even some some console some it's, it can be difficult to find out what to do and it's maybe hard for the user to just check out uh, some websites and and learn how this computer worked it shouldn't be usually if someone wants to use it. Maybe you should invest some, some minutes to learn it, but having something at hand to look at, just with a shortcut, look at that and, and see the description how, uh, just for some example, load up a, a game in, in a computer core where you don't know how to do it. It really helps uh, getting people there. You know, it's, it's like being self-integrated, embedded in, in a way, right? Yes. And I, I'm really looking forward to, uh, when we have this for, at least for the computer course, and I also would uh, prefer to have it also for the console course. Yes, uh, this uh, this is something that Alan just mentioned in the in the stage chat. It's it's PDF because they can be viewed on the mystery, right? Right while you're using it. Yeah. So the neat thing, and I have a new mystery main. I have a couple of problems, not big problems, but just. Kind of questions which is why i put it out for a few people to use of how exactly should it work and we i don't think we want to get too crazed about viewing too many docs on the mister mm -hmm. but definitely you know there are archives full of game manuals and some of the game manuals are actually important um, some have maps some have cheats some have copy protection um the rx or what, what's that japanese computer we did last year that uh, pierre did rx 78 that's crazy like Every game has crazy input, like mappings. Mm -hmm. There's just no way to use it without looking at it. And so those are PDFs, and we can just drop them right in the games folder. And so the way it will work is you'll hit F12, and where it says About, right above About, I put Help, and then it just shows PDF, extensions, PDF, 
Markdown or text. And then you can just pick it with your joystick. And then the PDF viewer works with the joystick up, down, left, right. Uh, works with the keyboard too. There's a lot more commands. And it actually has a table of contents viewer, which is nice, which is hooked to tab, which is one of the four buttons mm. on the joystick. And so you can actually hit the table of contents, use the joystick to go through it. Uh, it's pretty good. And you can, and I don't, what I don't have right now, which people could take a little poll, is it would be nice maybe to have a key where you could, you know, leave up the game manual for, you know, whatever you're playing in the PlayStation and then be able to maybe hit a key to toggle back and forth without quitting the manual. Mm. So we could do that. But, um, but the neat thing is it's in the frame buffer and on Linux. And so, you know, you're in your computer, you go over, you know, pop up the OSD, go to the PDF viewer, look at what you want to look at. And then when you escape out, you're back, you know, over. And it's kind of, I mean, it doesn't stop the core or anything. I don't know. It's nice. Yeah, it is. It certainly is. And it's, uh, I believe it's, uh, it's a quality that will help uh, quality of life in general for, for the user. And uh, create a more curated experience that's um, easier to navigate. Hopefully. You know, we're just trying to make, yeah, the quality of life a little bit better. Yeah, thank you for for that work. I'm sure that it it'll be exactly like for X sixty eight thousand. This will be uh, a must have, right? Because uh, it, it has so many quirks. Uh, old computers in general, even older than the X sixty eight thousand, have a lot of things that uh, maybe just somebody that used them back then, and maybe even those people will need to be refreshed on the stuff that they used to do. Yeah, I wrote an emulator back in the 90s for the Commodore 64, and I still, like, I'll load it up and I'll forget, how do I get a directory listing of a disk? It's, mm-hmm. it's not obvious, and it's, you know, and then you go between cat and dir, and yeah, so as Robert said, the, the idea is, hop into an old computer core, especially the computers, and I just want to load a game. You know, I heard this game was great, but how do I load it? And And I just want that to be, like, stare, and that's why the Hopefully the cheat sheets are set up where I would have like tape and disk on the left and just three or four commands so that if you really want to program something for it, you'll go on the internet. But if you just want to hop into try Choplifter on five different computers, <laughs> you can actually do that quickly. And and you already have a lot of them. And in the folder that you shared, uh, we saw it before, uh, I mean, before we talked here, but people can now access that folder and, and uh, they can also collaborate with you. They just need to send you a uh, DM, right? You mentioned. Yeah, I, I, I'm hoping, you know, I know that PDFs and are not the easiest thing to create. So I kind of went around in circles and was searching the internet and I found someone had made a slide template for a very complicated cheat sheet. And so I simplified it and it looks good on the mister. Uh, we made one for Robert. I think he tried it. I think it looks reasonable. And I think it's not great. I mean, I would rather everything be in Markdown, but Markdown is a very strange, hard thing to view on a mister. Um, so the PDF is pretty, actually pretty lightweight and pretty good. And I decided we would make them with Google Slides. And I could open up the directory for anyone to edit, but I just thought it was a little nicer if people sent me a note and then I'll add them um, to edit. Otherwise, everyone has view access. Yeah, that's, that's a, a lot of work that you got there. But Christoph, um, who did the amazing PDF manual that maybe some people have seen, I think it might be in French, he has done almost all of them. So he sort of grabbed and took all of okay. his docs and turned them into the same format, which was amazing of him. So he's done almost all the work. And that's the ones that are as PowerPoint are the ones he did, because, I don't know, we lost something in translation, and they left Google Slides and turned into PowerPoint. But we can edit PowerPoint on Google Slides, so it's okay. 
Yeah, and uh, I wanted to mention that this is something that uh, maybe some people that are not that technically inclined but want to help. This this is a very valuable place where help can be and time can be put forward. Definitely. And uh, we have a, a a few questions uh, that I I want to maybe address right now. Uh, before uh, the the structure will be talking about the projects, but. We can start with these questions. No more questions at the moment. I'll read them later, or only if they are appropriate for the for the theme that we have. But there's um, there's some some stuff uh, that been asked that I could ask right now. For example, Robert, they ask if you've ever thought about implementing safe states on other cores like Genesis, Super Nintendo, or TurboGrafx-16. Of course, the the first the the quick answer right here is uh, I'm talking for Robert. Is not right now, <laughs> right? Yes, not at the moment. And uh, I, I looked at some cores before, but it's very difficult to add uh, safe states to cores that I don't know how they work. So I don't know how the original system works. How I don't know how it's implemented, and it really makes it very difficult. So even for the NES, uh, when I added them, I needed a lot of help from from all the NES developers. For, for the different submodules to understand what they do and what needs to be saved and I couldn't have done it alone. So it's it's very difficult to edit for, for a core that I didn't wrote in the first place or where I didn't know the, the system. Yeah, I, I'd like to add that it's um, imagine that somebody has a room completely organized to their tastes and uh, not only that, to, to a functionality in particular to do certain tasks and you are uh, just asked to go inside there and change something very deeply yeah it's it's something stressful it's something uh that that requires complete attention that requires that you drop everything else you're doing probably in your life not only on the hobby and and pay full attention to this right yeah, especially you can break the original behavior with that. So it, it's even it's not just adding another thing that may not work right at the start, but you can break the that the original core even works mm -hmm. with with doing that. So it's really hard to to touch these things if you don't know what you're doing. And I usually don't know that if I look at another core. So. It, I don't consider this uh, a task I, I really want to do on, on more cores. Mm -hmm. I can imagine, and I can understand perfectly. And Alan, there's something that, uh, that Rantik asked, and uh, he mentions that he'd like to know our technical backgrounds, uh, but mainly any recommendations for people that are brand new to this kind of low-level coding. coding. Are there any courses, books, websites they think that are a good starting point he says, I can imagine the resources being available today are far more vast and rich than with you all started. Um, I, I'll pull up the books in a second. There's the Verilog, um, the 8-bit workshop Verilog for games book that's, I think, really good. And I think using their website to start is really nice and just editing their code because it's basically um, a simulator online and that, that works really well. Um, SpaceX guy, Frank Bruno, who kind of came in and out of the mister. Unfortunately, he uh, disappeared. Um, he wrote a great book. I reviewed it for him. Um, and that's a good, like a little bit more advanced book where he talks about um, kind of the gotchas 
as a more experienced FPGA person. So he feels it's like when he interviews someone to, when he interviews an FPGA developer, it's kind of the questions he would ask and the pitfalls he thinks that most novice developers bump into. So clock domain crossing and I forget what else is in there, but it, it, it was good. Like it was a hard read. Um, because I was so interested in it, but it, that book is really good. And then there's a couple just regular books on on Verilog and VHDL. So I think as far as books go, those are good. Um, and then uh, my tutorials, the other tutorial that was pasted in the chat, are um, are a good way to start. And I I think just yeah, just start and just try something simple. And I think you know you basically just want to take a demo and change the color of the background to start with, since we don't really have blinky lights on the Mister. <clears throat> and now that we're on, on, on not exactly on the same topic, but Tenshin asks how uh, to use a PDF viewer within the course that he hasn't seen the option. It's not released yet. <laughs> it's you got to download off the exactly. um, test builds the new um, new Mister, which unfortunately is now behind some PC, PSX changes. So I've got to update it again, um, and then it puts a new menu option in. But I didn't release it because I'm not exactly sure. We're having a little discussion over where do the PDFs live. So that's kind of the next. Yeah, some, some details need to be uh, just uh, polished. Uh, you can test, as, as Alan mentioned, right now, but you need to, do, you need to go to a branch, basically. Uh, in Discord, it's the on stuff. the uh, test yeah. build. Okay, or it's unstable. under the test build channel. Yeah, test build, I think. Yeah, uh, but it'll be released as soon as they feel it's, it's ready for release. Right. We're, or, we're, we're kind of like making a preview. If you really, really want to try it now, it, it is there. So just throw some PDFs on the thing, hit F9, you know, root and one, log into your mister, and then type PDF viewer, one word, space, the name of your PDF, and it'll pop up and you can play with it with the joystick. Because we did install it. If you've run the downloader or update all recently, it is installed mm, that's awesome. in Linux in the path. So so there's three. There's, um yeah, less is already on the... Uh, Mister, which is kind of like more, and there's also this thing called Glow, which is a, a markdown reader, but it doesn't show images, so it's okay. Yeah, and uh, they, they asked Robert uh, regarding what we were just previously talking about: is how is safe state even possible with the PlayStation Core? <laughs> how is it possible? So. Uh, it it works the same way as in the other other course. Um, this maybe it's a little bit more advanced here because I I don't save the whole state in the PlayStation Core like for example some software emulator would do. So instead I pause uh, the core at uh, at a state where many things are defined. So for example the the movie decoder is never in the safe state because I just don't pause when it is running. So I don't need to save it. And it's the same for, for other things like the like the CD drive because it's communicating with the Linux to exchange data. So I, I don't take a safe state while it's reading data there. So many things can be cut down. So it even there's even enough space in FPGA with with the safe states. Uh, if I would want to save everything, it wouldn't fit. That's really clever. Nice. And uh, in, in a more general sense, uh, I'm going to be speaking uh, for Robert here, is he can do it because he built it from the ground to be able to do it. Yes. As, uh, as he's done uh, in, in the previous course, because that's the way that he understands and, and works. Uh, I'm, I'm going to 
it's not my place, but I'm, I'm going to say that he usually builds a software emulator that's very precise, cycle accurate, and uh, after understanding and working on that, he builds a core. Could you go a little further into that? We, we covered that in the last episode. I'm not saying that we shouldn't cover it here, but uh, I believe it's important for people to understand the process. Yeah, I, I can say some, some words about it. So I usually start with, with a software emulator and uh, I, I look at existing emulators to understand how the system works in general, just to get some, some games starting up. So that's always my first task, getting a game starting up, no matter how the, the emulator looks at this point. I really don't care. And if the game starts running, I go through the emulator, check that every uh, component is looking as it would look in the FPGA later. So it. Uh, calculates everything in, in every clock cycle. Some, for example, the CPU runs every stage as it would on the real hardware, while usual software emulators don't do that. And everything should look the same. And it should still run the game that was running before. So I can work my way from there on. And when I have that, I implement safe states in the emulator and use that in the core later on just to, to debug. So every time I uh, I come to a problem in the core, I can take a safe state, load it in the emulator, or I can take a safe state in the emulator, load it in the core, and go to a, to a specific situation where I wouldn't be able to go without that. And that's what really helps me at this point. So that's also the reason I have the, the safe states in, in all my cores I've made, because uh, it would be very hard for me to debug all these things without them. Yeah, I can imagine. And uh, now we're, we're, uh, we haven't officially uh, started talking about the PlayStation Core. We're, we're uh, uh, in the introduction and, and responding to some of the questions, but there's a question that could be more general by attention, uh, asking about, uh, is there any communication with emulation developers if bugs are found and the like? And um, it's, it's a tough question to, to ask because Getting in touch with everybody that's involved is it's really hard. The the real way this the, I imagine this works in general, not just talking about PlayStation, is that thing is put out into open, right? What what can you tell us about this, Robert? So so there's a, a lot of communication with uh, software emulator developers. So I, I had a lot of uh, discussions with the GBA core with uh, Andrew, the developer of uh, MGBA and uh, also others from, from the community. And uh, they are talking all the time about new things they found out, and I can use that, uh, that information. It's, it's really helpful. I can ask questions about things they have found out years before, because I am new to all these courses. So uh, when I started with GBA, uh, I didn't know anything about it. So I asked them some stupid questions there. They are always helpful and brought me up to speed there, and it was it was great. And the same has happened um, with Wonderswan, where I um, worked with Nia together, and we mm -hmm. we fixed mm -hmm. some bugs together. It, it was so great with to work with such an experienced developer, and. Now it, with with the PlayStation, it's it's the same. There are developers from from 
open source uh, emulators, they talk about it. And if I ask some questions, they, they link uh, positions in the code, how it works there. And it's it's good. I would, it would be really great if I could provide something more back than I do currently. So when I find something out, I will tell them, but it's nothing compared to what they found out in all these years already. So, but uh, we definitely uh, profit from that. Yeah, I, I, I can, I can imagine. And it's uh, just for general public. I'm, I'm just being layman here. Uh, of course, emulation has been around for tens of years, right? And uh, strides were made at, at first. Precision not being the 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 main target, but precision has been improved as as time has advanced. And uh, communication with emulator authors uh, sometimes uh, is 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 probably not possible. Uh, when you're talking to somebody that wrote their emulator 20 years ago, right? Yes, it's, it's much easier if, uh, if you talk to someone who, who's still working on the emulator. But uh, exactly, I would say for, for every popular system, at least, there's uh, some, some developers still around. I didn't find anyone for the Lynx to, to talk about things, but uh, for every other system I worked on. Yeah, it's because uh, it's hard to just get the word out that I'm working on this. Where's everybody that's working on this, right? It's like speaking to the avis sometimes, and sometimes it's so direct uh, because it reaches the right people. But it's it's dependent on that. If if those people are willing to listen, or if they have an open channel, or if they are easily able, if you're easily able to contact them, right? Yeah, it's much easier in the, in the last years because there's a, a public uh, Discord server for mm -hmm. emulator development and many of the uh, developers from all these systems gather there. And it's really That's great awesome. to, have, to have such a community there. Yeah, I, I can imagine. And uh, how receptive are they to fixing this kind of stuff? I mean, in general, because... It's uh, something that you don't. Uh, it's it's exciting to find something that's you missed, but at the same time, it's like, okay, I have to deep dive into this, right? I can understand uh, this this uh, phases of oh no, and then oh hey, how did this even work before? So that is uh, something that works really great there because if a developer posts uh, a bug fix for something, so maybe all other developers for uh, for the system have the same bug but someone mm -hmm. tells i found this out and you need to fix that point and it will work for you that's the best you can get wow so, so you, you uh, everyone is usually very happy if someone finds a, re a solution for a bug that uh, that's in all emulators or in most and it really helps yeah, yeah, that's that's a surgical and like a, a godsend fix. Yes, or or and even uh, if you go through, uh, let's say, I sometimes go through the the GitHub en uh, issues from some emulator to look uh, if mm. they have the same problem or something, and if I can find the the solution for that, I will post it there, of course. So to to have a, to to give them a hint how to, to make this yeah. work. And usually they are very happy to get that. And I am also very happy. I also have, the, have <laughs> had that. 
I had some some open uh, bug issues and some software uh, emulator developer came around and posted here you need to change this and that and then it will work and that's great i'm that's always awesome. happy to yeah, see that collaboration in, in open source projects and, and even when they're not open source i mean in open community yes is uh is impressive because it, it doesn't need to be open source for people to contribute back and forth well, I would say it, it usually is. I, I didn't have any communication yet with someone working on a on a closed source mm. emulator or solution. At least not to a, to a point where it would really help. I see. That's unfortunate. Uh, but uh, Alan, they're asking if uh, most devs uh, kind of have a brand or focus, but you seem to contribute in very broad sets of ways. Is there any common factor to your contributions? Are they born from your own interests or are desired to fill needs as you see them? That's a good question. I, I, I don't know how to answer that exactly. There are definitely, <laughs> when I started on Mr., I had a list of things I wanted to do. And all but one, I noticed this year I checked off. The one thing that I haven't is getting the Apple IIe to save or write to disk. Um, yeah. Which we should be able to get. Red Skull has a fix or almost a fix, but he got busy over Christmas. And, um, Gary Becker, who wrote the amazing Coco 3 core for all the other boards, um, ha gave me his Apple II, which has disk save, and he says it's easy. So we should <laughs> we should get to work. And actually, there's some cool other parts <laughs> in his Apple II that I need to copy over, like the serial card. Um, yeah, I guess I like hoarding things. I like I, I guess I started with what was easiest first. And being a hoarder, I kind of wanted a digital hoarder. I wanted to get every core ported over to Mister. So if I saw a piece of code on GitHub, and sometimes when I'm bored, I'll just search GitHub for code, um, and I would port it over. So that's like probably the first thing, which is why it looks like I'm so broad. But it's really, oh, I learned how to take a Mist core and port it early. So, <laughs> so I'm pretty good at that. And then um, there are a couple cores like uh, Pierre just who's a, a machine as we all know as well like robert like holy cow does he just decide oh i want to implement this computer and three days later he's got graphics up um well did alice and on his way to alice which i guess was a very famous french computer someone posted a great video in this community about about the alice um, um yeah he started i guess did like the coco 2 like a real early version so uh dave shadoff and i took that and fixed it and got it working because I always used the that computer as a kid, like in camp and things, and was interested in it. And it was a hole because going back to this closed source problem, Roger Taylor's works amazingly, but it's closed source. Um, so that's bad. So that and I couldn't get Becker's um, core working until Stan, who's new to the community, started to uh, help, and he immediately got it working, which was amazing. The Coco Three. So so if, I guess long-winded answer to say there are a few things I feel like we just need on Mr. And then there are a few things that are easy. I find them on GitHub and I think, okay, well, in a day or two, I could get a whole new game system up and running or some new computer. Um, so I'll work on that. And then now I like to do this like quality of life things like the PDF viewer and cassettes. And if I learn a lot about cassettes, then it's like, okay, well, we should put a status bar on all the cassette loading. So I've been <laughs> building a cassette loading status bar. Well, now it's just kind of copy and paste it. And the same with the high scores, like for a long time I wanted to build the high score state machine and I had figured out how to do it in my head. I finally coded it and then Jimmy took it over and then he did all the hard work to really push it into all the cores. But once we sort of had it working in one or two, then 
it was still hard to get working in the other ones, but it wasn't it was sort of like a known thing. Yeah, you're not going working from zero. You have a an idea of where to go. Maybe you have to modify things, but you have a good idea. Definitely. And uh, now that you mentioned the, the Coco, uh, some people don't know what this is, and uh, it, it'll be worth it, I, I, I believe, to mention uh, what they sold platforms and what they meant in general for a generation, right? Because this, this, these computers that you've been working on improving this year, they have uh, the common uh, value of being formative for the current generation of game developers. Would you agree with that? Or, or what? how do you describe them and, and what they are? Um, yeah, so <laughs> I see Sension saying that she wants the Coleco Atom, and I've wanted the Apple IIgs. That's on my bucket list. Um, and I actually tried to get Robert to do it instead of PlayStation. Everyone's going to boo me. <laughs> um, I didn't know he was going to do PlayStation and do it so quickly and so well. Um, or I never would have distracted him. But um, yeah, so the, for me, growing up in Connecticut in the U.S., um, the big computers were the Atari 8-bits growing up at the toy store. Um, the Commodore 64 was around. Um, mm -hmm. Had an Apple IIe and a 2GS later. And the Apple IIs were in most of the schools. And um, a lot of people had some TI-99s, some Coleco's. And the Radio Shack was in every mall. And a lot of people, and a lot of, for whatever reason, like summer camp and my coding, my first coding camp I had at a college when I was 10, like they were all using either TRS-80 Model 1, maybe Model 2 and 3s were around a bit, and the color computer. And the color computer 2 was really big. And eventually the color computer 3 is kind of like an Apple IIgs, kind of just a strange computer that I don't quite understand. And that's what Dave pointed out, we should do the Coco 2, because that's like the computer everyone had. And Coco 3 is in a weird, like a... Uh, like a, I don't know, it's a very odd computer. But, um, so yeah, so it was neat. So um, the original TRS-80 came from Mist from the HTZ, some like Eastern European copy of it. And then I ported it over and then Dave helped with fix the tape. And then um, Steadyman, who's not on around much anymore, did an amazing job with the disc. And so we got the TRS-80 one is in pretty good shape. And then... Coco 2, as I said, Pierre started um, from scratch on that, and then David helped me with that, and we've got tape loading on it. And then Stan came, and he's a professional. You know, his career was retired FPGA developer, and he's done an amazing job. So he helped port the disc, which is used in a couple other cores. There's a Western Digital Disc Controller that um, I don't even know which cores it's in, but it's in a bunch. It's in the BBC as well. So he was able to get that slightly adapted and working in the Coco 3, and I again, trying to do easy things, grabbed it, changed it, didn't quite get it working. He spent like two minutes and got it working on the Coco 2. So now the Coco 2, which is a Tandy color computer, it does, um, it has tape working, it has the ADC tape working, it's got disk support, and then somewhere in there I saw that the Dragon, which is the British version of it, for whatever reason they just like reversed the keyboard cable or something really silly. So we got the Dragon 32 working with different ROMs and different keyboard cable. And then the... Uh, there was a Dragon 64, and someone on Dragon Coco or Dragon Discord finally showed me what I was doing wrong. So we have the Dragon 64 booting, and the next thing to do will be to get the Dragon to. And that core is a little goofy. Like if someone wants to work on it, there's something wrong with the timing. Sometimes it doesn't reboot. But um, is to get a new, better controller. Someone hacked on the internet. I saw this hack where they had a special ROM to be able to take a Tandy cartridge disc controller and use it on a 
dragon. So I put that ROM on our Tandy <laughs> disk controller, and it kind of works. But it's kind of terrible, so we need a disk controller. Those are close. They're getting much, much better. And um, now related to this, uh, somebody asks uh, a, a while ago if uh, hardware donations would help. Hardware donations. I would help someone. I'm too lazy to get my logic analyzer out and look at it. Um, and a lot of these computers are, have a lot of manuals and books and schematics. And it may be wrong or not, but there's a lot of information. It's actually really refreshing going from an arcade to a computer. Mm. There's a lot of stuff. <laughs> The complete opposite, right? Yeah, yeah it's really nice. Uh, Stan is master ass on Discord. Stan. Yeah, and... Uh... It, it, this is because back in the day when when you got a computer, uh, you were supposed to service it and program it yourself. Especially Radio Shack, because they had you know all those parts and things they sold. Yeah, yeah, you you could repair it with what they sold at the store. In theory, yeah. Yeah, yeah, in theory. And um, I believe uh, we we can start talking about uh, Wonderswan, Robert. Uh, which which probably is is not what people expect at the moment, but. Uh, we left it. Why, why Wonderswan, and what happened with that? So I, I needed a new project last year after I completed the <laughs> Atari Lynx, and mm -hmm. I looked around what, what other Hunter course are still open to do, and also some other things, but um, when, I, when I looked around, I've seen the uh, Hygen emul emulator, which mm -hmm, is... Mm -hmm. uh, Probably known by for, for most of uh, of us here for the Super NES version of it, which is very accurate and it's it's really good, and it also has uh, has a Wonderswan version in it, and it's not exactly as good as the Super NES, but still very good and it's uh, it's psycho accurate, so it can be could be used really easy to, to create something from it which would work in FPGA also as, uh, as accurate as that. And that made it really easy to, to create the score and I, I thought it, it's a handheld, it's still missing, it has like 300 games on it, mostly are Japanese, but it's mm -hmm. still a, a nice system and why not do that? And it's a hard system. You you have a, a couple of challenges there. One of them is refresh rate, which is related to something that Ale has been working on as well. But uh, you also have the the controller and the rotation, right? Yeah, from from the core perspective, both is is not really a, a big issue because in the core you you just have the the buttons and in the names and the user has has the problem to map it, <laughs> but. Uh, the core has has no problem with that, and it's the same for for the update rate, the seventy five hertz. You can give it out, um, and if the user has a screen that can can display it, it will work. The core has some options to to get the games also running with with a sixty hertz screen, so that's maybe a little bit of of added um, functionality, but. Um, from from uh, important parts inside the core, which are, are crucial to getting the games running and everything working, it it doesn't really matter if the core is running at, at 60 or 75 hertz or, or what buttons it has. So, and this this was not not the issue at, at this point. 
the, the bigger problem was the documentation for the Warner Swan. So everything that mm. was not already known in, in, in Huygen was very difficult to find out. <laughs> and I, I wrote some, some test drums for it to, to get the information out from my, from my Wonder Swan I bought. And it was, was working in the end. And it was great to find out some new things that, are, that haven't been known before. So things are, that are, have not been in, in any emulator before. And, uh, but uh, it, it fixed some games which are now playable. Also in in Heigen now. No, that's awesome. What was yeah, the, the, the experience? The specifics we we're talking about of how the round trip of information goes the whole way. And uh, regarding what I, what I probably was focusing on when I asked you about uh, the difficulty was was around the user experience. And uh, does the audio pitch change when you when you work at sixty or adapted at sixty, for instance? The audio has not changed. It's uh, the data is, is in a frame buffer anyway to, to give mm -hmm. it out. And uh, it's just uh, updated less, less frequent from, from the uh, mm. frame buffer to, to HDMI, for example. That's really interesting. So, so, so you are basically kind of dropping frames. Yes, you're dropping frames. You may get, uh, you may get tiering with it. it or you, you uh, are, are getting delay if you don't want the tiering. And, it's it's difficult if mm -hmm. your if your screen cannot manage the seventy five hertz. So it's better if if you can do that, but it still works without. But if you switch between both, you notice it uh, directly. Yeah, yeah, I I understand, and, and uh, well, it, it it certainly cleaned a doubt for me about how that worked, and now it makes a lot more sense, and that's because it's faster, not slower. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Thank you for for that. And uh, Wonderswan is is a, is a platform that didn't get as much attention as the one you're working on uh, right now. And and we'll get, we get back to to that. People are asking about the BGM core, uh, Alan, in 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 the chat. And BGM is a format that abstracts audio and synchronizes it to 44 hertz, kind of like a CD-ROM and. Uh, that's not hardware anymore. That's why it probably you won't see a core for that. You'd, you'd need to run the specific uh, audio files for from each core if supported. Uh, it's it's not uh, it's not a general hardware abstraction. And um, so, uh, Alan, uh, talking about that that we were talking about refresh, and uh, you worked a bit on the Sharp um, uh, MZ and also on PC88. I'm a big fan of the PC88. Uh, what what can you tell us about those? I don't know much about it. I uh, worked at all the hard work on the PC88. And um, I mean, obviously, he, I shouldn't say he did all the hard work. It was written by someone else. I'm terrible with names. Um, the Japanese developer who did, you know, 95% of the work and then work cleaned it up yeah, and got it. Yeah, Pusan. Pusan, yeah, thank uh -huh. you. And, um, and then worked in most of the work. And then I just went in and work with, got stuck with a video issue of trying to get it centered and and then i noticed that it had for whatever reason kind of like the uh 68000 when it started um the scaler was just bizarre and was like doing every other line was black so we figured out how yeah. to center it and then we doubled the pixels and started to look really nice so that that was me touching and just helping i wouldn't say i did much work on it um and then the sharp mz as well was just this thing that was really messed 
up. The author, I'd say, did an amazing job with it, and he's really great. But it got too complicated for its own worth, where he replaced most of the Mr. Framework with other framework in the binary and in the Mr. side. And then he um, had it working at like every possible display rate. But in doing that, the timing was really broken. It may have taken almost as long as the 46 core to compile for a core that's a trivial computer. And so I just got rid of features and simplified it. And then I fixed like two bugs where Mr. Binary file code had moved forward and where it looked for paths and how it worked. And his code, because he had copied everything, didn't. So I just changed like the bare minimum and then cut out a bunch of code on the um, core side, got it to compile quickly and pass timing or get timing close. And then it started working again. And I said, okay, done. I'm not going to touch it. Because I was thinking about just redoing it completely. <laughs> but I was like, it works. People can use it. <laughs> I'm going to stop now. And he said he wanted to rewrite it from scratch, the author. Uh, so we'll see what he does. I didn't want and these cores have a... Uh, sorry, Alan. Oh, no, I just yeah. said, I didn't want to step on his toes. Yeah, this, this, these computers uh, that are more obscure are present their own challenges because uh, refresh rates, because uh, special keys in the keyboard, uh, obscure commands that they were are, are even worse than the C sixty four where where you can find it easily, right? Yeah. Uh, that, thankfully, that computer. I don't know. I mean, the PC eighty eight when work showed to me and I started um, using it. I was blown away. Like I was like, "Wow, these games are fun." Um, and they're easy to run. They boot like game consoles, right? But I don't know. I've only played a few games on it, but I just I was like, "Okay, this is worth doing." Um, that sharp one. I mean, you know, I love all old computers, but that sharp one for the hassle that that core is and how complicated it got, I didn't think was that fun. Um, hmm. And the color genie is kind of like that. There's a color genie out there that I can't get the tapes to load. I downloaded all these emulators, looked for open source emulators, played with MAME, and MAME I think I got working, but the other ones, I was just hit or miss getting the tapes loading. And it kind of is like a clone-ish of the TRS-80 Model 1, which as much as I remember and love that, is not, again, that fun to play games on. So, I don't know, at some point, like, the reward... You know, and then you have something like the RX78, which again is kind of a weird one to work on too much because there's just not that much software for it yet. We've been trying to buy stuff on, uh, you know, auctions in Japan and dump it. But um, but at least that's like a wacky, wild computer. Games aren't very good, I guess either. But <laughs> but they look nice-ish. So yeah. Yeah, they they are interesting platforms that we completely missed. Or like are so hard yeah. to get the hardware like the RX78 that is super worth preserving. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and that influenced so much stuff in the other side of the world that, that we can't tell, right? And and that's worth, as uh, somebody that studies uh, how these things evolved, that's really interesting to get in a single package as Mister. And the sixty-eight thousand, as you know, like what an amazing computer, which I didn't know of until you know it started to come over. With it's unbelievable, right? And the ports and the games and. Yeah, I, I, I love that computer. I have one, and uh, I, I don't want to go deep into it, but it, it, it's a challenge. It's a challenge because it, it runs at 55 hertz, and uh, that gets us the opposite problem that, that Robert had with the Wonderswan. For people to, to be able to run it, it has to be slowed down. To 50 instead of 60? 55. Well, from 55 to 60. 
sorry, it had to be sped up. Right. I, I got it mixed up. If you want to, or, or you have to do some kind of magic, but currently the, the, the current uh, core uh, changes the pitch when, when that happens for audio, because everything is running on sync, right? The same processor is running the audio. Interesting. And, uh, and getting the people to, to run it at, at the original frame rate and, and getting the... the I've been working with a, a software developer uh, uh, emulator. It's a closed source emulator for years now because he was the only one that uh, cared about uh, preserving the original floppy disks in their in the original format because everything that's out there is um, is cracked or patched to run on, on, on without protection. And floppy disks uh, present this challenge that they have uh, they, they are analog media. And uh, sometimes protection is reading from those analog sectors and check if they are random, basically, if they are random noise. And if, uh, if they are stable bits, then it's a copy. If uh, they are unstable bits, then it's an original, unformatted tracks. And, uh, well, I'm not going to go down there, but uh, many x68,000 games have that kind of protection. And um, now I'd like to, to talk about, uh, what do you think about talking about a bit about PlayStation, uh, Robert? Yeah, so there are probably a lot of questions already in the, in the channel about it, or should I just start with, with chat? I think you can, I think you can start with uh, general. We, we talked about the questions that were already in the channel. And uh, we, we have a few that uh, are obviously in the mind of a lot of people, like uh, CRT. Somebody asked us about CRT support, which is not a priority, but, but you're going to reply to that. And uh, we also have an obvious question about dual RAM. Yes. And so, yeah, please. So just, just in, in, uh, to start with, uh, with the project, I, I want to mention that... Um, we all know that there has been uh, a core from from Lexa working on the on the PlayStation, and when I started working on the project, I didn't think this this core would come up again. So I started in June last year, and it was very quiet at at this point. I get a lot of got a lot of requests from people uh, talking about, can't you? Uh, continue on the score or, or, or work on the PlayStation and things like that. And when I did the, the Lynx and the Wonders one before, both systems are not that popular, let's say. They don't mm -hmm. have many good games and it compared to, let's say, for example, the, the GBA before. We, we, we discussed it, but I think there are at least there are more games and usually uh, the, the system was more successful and I wanted to work on something that is um, that is more popular so with with uh, with games I know and I know I would like them I would know I like I would like to play them because that was quite difficult for 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 Lynx. I, I guess I had never played many games on on the system and for one or one maybe two or three so I wanted to do something in, in this direction and most other systems uh, would have been too too powerful for for the mister so i worked on the nintendo ds one year earlier and had to give it up and 
Mm -hmm. The 64 would also not make it on on the Mister. So, PlayStation was was the choice to do there, and with uh, with the specification, I thought it it should fit, and I should should start that that project. So I started in in June and worked for two to three months on the software emulator before I made it public that I'm working on it because uh, I I didn't told anything before the first games were running mm -hmm. because I didn't know how long it would take to be sure uh, I could even make it make it work and uh, so I started in, in September then with the with the core and everything since then has been has been open source um, so to the to the two questions uh, CRT um, will of course be supported and um, it's currently I, I use a hack for the, for the video out because the the video out of the PlayStation is asynchronous to the CPU, and it's um, it's very difficult to create a core or an emulator before or anything that runs these things reproducible, everything same mm -hmm. every time you run it again. So I. I made a hack with the v current video out and made it run synchronous to the CPU. So I can trust that it will work always the same. I guess almost all games would work with that and will not crash or hang or, or really depend on, on the slightly different timing. But it uh, enables me to, to get the games running, to get um, to, to debug these things. And I will change it to the asynchronous way when uh, when the next feature, the, the CD audio is done. And after that uh, has been made, CRT output will work as as it should work. Yeah. So that's for, for the CRT. And for the dual RAM, <laughs> that's the typical question all the time. So the dual RAM, I used it mainly as a development tool. So it was used um, for the first CD loading. It could only load very small disks, but I used that to get the CD loading working. And when I was sure it was working, it was the right time to put it on the, on the, on the Linux side to transfer the data. Because it's mm -hmm. very hard to develop both systems at the same time. I would wanted to have one side completely done. And then I got mm -hmm. very big luck and uh, Alexei uh, did the, uh, the Linux side for this and also a lot of other work on, on the Linux for the, um, for the PlayStation Core and I really have to thank him because I wouldn't be at this, this point now if uh, he didn't step in and made this work because uh, I, I'm really not experienced with uh, programming on this side. So when when the CD was was transferred uh, over to the to the uh, to the Linux side, so the second SD ROM wasn't required anymore. And later on, I added the sound, and it was required again. And now we have uh, we have a, a special cache mode for the sound, and it works with the DDR3. And the second stick isn't required anymore. You can still use it, and it will be slightly more accurate in edge cases 
but I doubt that anyone will notice it at all. It's usually one or two audio frames, which is like uh, not even a millisecond uh, where uh, the audio will be delayed. But uh, yeah, only, only tools would be able to detect it if yes. they can trigger it. I also needed tools. I, I added a debug uh, output in the um, in the core, which worked like like a frame counter, and it counted up from BIOS into the games how many frames have been mm -hmm. delayed. And I played for half an hour, and it was uh, 18 audio frames being delayed. So you can really ignore that. Yeah. And. <laughs> That's, um, and uh, just just so, so people understand what this audio frame is, how how long it is it? So one audio frame is uh, one second divided by forty four thousand one hundred. So it's yeah, uh, I think it's it's twenty <laughs> microseconds. Yeah, it's it's basically a sample, right? You yes. were eighteen samples behind after half an hour. You're not even behind because it will catch up. It's just uh, yeah, that okay. one sample was delayed at least one clock cycle. It's not even said okay, so <laughs> Maybe only one clock cycle. So it's really yeah. not a problem. Yeah, it's 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 really, really minuscule. Uh people are asking if uh, MD4A would would detect it. Uh, I I don't think it would. And um there there was some work on MD4A for for the PlayStation but not my myself by a friend. And I don't know the, the current state. We'd have to wait on that. As a matter of fact, I wanted to ask about that and uh, the audio synthesizer on the PlayStation later on. But meanwhile, uh, they're, they're asking if there'll be 2x resolution in the PSX core and if it would be supported on a, on a CRT and a BGA CRT. So, a different different solution for what? Sorry, I don't... Oh, uh, I, they're asking basically if the standard... Uh, functions from the framework would work with line doubling and uh, that kind of thing. Uh, and my my reply would be yes. Uh, when the CRT support is done, uh, the framework takes care of that, right? Yes. So uh, everything should, should work as it is uh, usually uh, working. We still got a problem with the scan doubler, which uh, mm. has a problem with uh, all the different resolutions the PlayStation can give out. So the standard uh, scan doubler we have uh, doesn't work with that because the, the pixel clock is changing all the time and resolutions wow. are switching and it's not made for that. And uh, if you really need that, uh, we need a new solution for that, but uh, everything else should work. It's still not clear uh, if we have two versions in the end, one for CRT and one for the dual SDRAM usage. Because there are some ideas that may require a second SDRAM later on. But um, mm. it's very unclear at the current point because the, the core is getting really full in the FPGA. There's not much space left. So I'm not sure if there is even space to add such features. I cannot say for now. Yeah. I have... Many and, and it's the least the, the thing that you'd least need to make compromises on uh, public compromises uh, I'm asking the question yes from the public but uh, they are not meant to be to put pressure on you or to define uh, specifics about uh, what people should do in order to take decisions because I understand that you're under pressure that some people want dual core because of this 
and uh, that's not the idea. It's completely up to them, and uh, this is a, a, a core being in development, and main target is uh, single RAM, right? Yes, uh, for me, it's 100% important that it works for everyone who has a mister with at least one SD RAM. So that must work. Mm -hmm. So everything beyond that is, is purely optional and um, maybe you get some, some slight uh, improvements on, on some part, but nothing that would touch the, um, the main functionality. And uh, now, speaking about uh, how the, the development has worked, what, what have you found about the PlayStation audio system that has surprised you? How, uh, how does it work? Does it have... Uh, uh, as, as some, some people mentioned that it has synthesis, some that it's just samples. What is it? How does it work? So there are uh, three parts that could create uh, audio in the PlayStation. The first is, is the easiest, which is the missing, is the CD audio, which is just mm -hmm. playing back the music like a, like a CD player. And the second one is, is from the same source. It also comes from CD, but is uh, encoded data, which is uh, with reduced data rate. So you can fit, let's say, four or eight times the amount of tracks on the same space on, on the disc. Mm -hmm. And this is all, all sample data, and it cannot be manipulated in, in any way. It just plays back. And okay. then it's uh, like an, an MP3 that you can't modify, right? Yes, yes, like, like that. You, you, can, you can adjust the volume and shift it to left or right and, and these things, but uh, you cannot play it faster or slower or, or modify it. You cannot modify pitch, right? Yeah, because you cannot speed up uh, the CD in, in different mm. ways. Maybe you could play it at, at half speed and, and such things, but it's I don't think it was really used to, to do that. But mm -hmm. um, we also have internal, the, the sound processing unit, which is uh, also sampled music with uh, 24 channels, which plays back uh, the samples, which are also... Uh, encoded like the like the encoded samples from the CD um, and they uh, they come from the SPU RAM which is uh, 512 kilobytes of RAM connected uh, to to the um, to the CPU and CPU can write the samples there from from the RAM or from CD write it to the SPU RAM and the SPU can can play these samples back there are several possibilities to modify the samples so in fact it, it has so many options to do things with them so play them faster or slower or any anything um, with with envelope or even creating some some triangle function yes, of, 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 oh. of samples which are which are in this ram so it has many options there so, it, yeah, so it, basically like a Super Nintendo in steroids in that sense. That's a problem. I often hear that, but I don't know how the Super Nintendo does it. So I, I cannot say that. But um, it's, it's, it wouldn't be um, 
it wouldn't be fair to say it's only sampled music. So you can do more, but it doesn't have uh, typical square wave or triangle wave or uh, such channels like like the older concerts. But it can do pretty much everything with uh, with the samples which are coming from the RAM. Hmm. Well, interesting. And this was the first part that was implemented, right? Yes, and that's also the reason why there's uh, a second RAM used for that in in the original design and also in the PlayStation itself, because 24 channels reading data from that it takes quite some bandwidth to do that, and mm -hmm. it's also with 24 channels you're jumping around the memory all the time and it reads at different addresses, so it's uh, it's taking up the whole time in the PlayStation. So it requires a complete SD RAM in, in the PlayStation to do that. And it, the best would be, of course, to do that also in the, in the Mister. But um, fortunately, uh, the DDR3 RAM is fast enough to, with some tricks, uh, we, can, um, we can simulate that behavior quite well. So we read faster, mm. we read with, with the cache, and so we... We cover that uh, that edge cases also there. And uh, did you find many games that used exclusively this kind of video? It's it's really mixed. So I was surprised that uh, some of the um, of the Square RPGs used that even for the uh, for the for the movies they have stored on the disc. Mm. So usually when some uh, for motion video is playing. The video part and the audio part, which is then used as uh, as, as uh, decoded audio, not not the CD audio, um, is mixed in the same in the same block. So you have uh, seven of eight. It's interleaved with the video. Sorry. Interleaved with the video. It's Some samples. Or? So seven of yeah. eight parts of the data is for the video and one of eight parts is for the audio and they are mixed together and played back and usually that's the way this uh, these videos are, are done. But mm -hmm. it seems that if you want to do really high quality video, you can't spend or you may want to spend the whole data rate on the video itself. Mm -hmm. so they store the samples in the SPU and play them back it's quite complicated. They run some interrupts, and it it costs some some issues to have that running. But uh, it improves the video quality slightly to have that uh, played back from from the SPU instead. So interesting. It, Do you remember any any game that did that? Yeah, for example, the the Final Fantasy titles do that. Okay, okay, that's really interesting to to see how that changed from the previous generations and. Uh, the possibilities that having more RAM and more power gave. Yeah, it was it was interesting to to see that uh, such details and how they they implemented that. And for other things, I still don't know how they are done. So there are, for example, some some games. Uh, is, I think it's called Unjamalami, where you uh, mm -hmm, have to mm -hmm. have to uh, play the buttons in the correct order. Uh, to the to the music and this mu music is played from CD, but at some point it gets slowed down and I don't see how that is even possible. <laughs> I need to learn that. <laughs> it's it's uh, interesting that you've been working on that and and, and that the 
that the product of your work does something that you don't understand how it works. It's, it's impressive how that thing can happen, right? Yeah, so in, in this case of this game, it's not working yet. So it's... it's oh, it's in, not working, okay. I know, but uh, for, for some other things, it's, sometimes it's surprising what, what works and you, you implement the things and at some point something works and you don't even know how they do it in the background. But uh, with, with such a, a modern system, there are so many things going on in parallel and with a high speed, it's very hard to track this all. So usually only if you if you debug something because it doesn't work, you realize how they are really doing it in the background. It's really, really interesting. Alan, do you have any questions regarding this uh, or, or the PlayStation in general? No, I'm just fascinated by it. I think it's amazing. Uh, what <laughs> I'm curious, and I don't know if anyone else is curious, but how big a cache did you need to make for the uh, audio RAM? And, and remind us how big it was originally on the PlayStation. So on the PlayStation, the complete audio RAM is uh, 512 kilobyte. So it's not that big, but it's just big enough that it cannot fit into the FPGA. And uh, I use a cache of 64 kilobyte for it. So That's it's a quite large. Big. Yeah, pretty big then. Interesting. And where, yeah, it, where is your RAM usage on the Mr.? So the Mr. has, what, about 530 or something? Is that right? Yeah, I, I think we have nearly 500 left after the framework. And uh, it was, I think, below 20% used before the SPU was added because uh, the PlayStation doesn't have any small RAMs which could fit well into the FPGA anyway. So it wasn't much used. It was mainly used for for some some small caches like the CPU cache, which is it's it's quite funny the CPU cache. And if you compare that with with the SPU cache now, the SPU cache is eight times as big. So it's it's really a large large uh, amount of memory only spent to support uh, a single SD RAM. I have to say it at this point, but uh, we have the RAM uh, there, and I think we can can spend it. I so could have tried to get it smaller, but um, I don't see a reason currently because we are, we still have like three hundred kilobyte of left. So the DD RAM is used for the audio, and then the CD data comes in through the DD RAM, or does the CD data come in through the I/O control stuff? The CD data comes comes directly from from the Linux. It's not shared through through memory. But okay. uh, DDR3 is is used for for even more things. So it's it's also used for the video RAM, and yeah. it's used for the memory cards also. So it's, it's shared. Memory. The SD RAM on on the PlayStation is 32 bit wide and 33 megahertz in in speed. And on the Mister we have uh, 16 bit wide RAM, so we need a double speed. So it would need to RAM, uh, need to re, uh, read the data at 66 megahertz already. I use a higher clock, so I can uh, also hide the, the refresh in that time. And also right. there's some some uh, other uh, some fast page mode used in the PlayStation for DMA, which uh, also would need some some faster response. So I cover it with that, and it's fully used. If a DMA is going on from from the SD RAM to let's say the the GPU. It's uh, the bandwidth is, is used. We cannot put anything else in there. And the D, the the D, okay. And that copies it. The DMA copies it from the SD RAM currently the way it's designed to the DDR. Then 
when it does a DMA transfer? Or is so it copied on chip? Uh, it, it can copy to, to DDR3 or it can copy to a texture cache in, in the GPU. Or oh, okay. Okay, and so the GPU also other... has some DRAM on the chip, on the FPGA. Yes, it, a little bit of RAM. Little. Compared to, to today's uh, RAM size, it's really small. But That's interesting. Yes. That's, uh, <laughs> that's really a lot of... Uh of work and it's impressive i've worked a bit on, on the sega cd and the super nintendo and they are both 64k of ram for for audio and on the super nintendo it's intended for code that runs the the audio and plays back the music and the samples sega so cd is is just samples so having 512 here is it's amazing yeah it's it's really much uh, a part of this is shared for the reverb functionality which is quite special for the for mm. the PlayStation, I would say. It it saves away all the the audio which is given out already to the to the speaker and mm -hmm. plays it back after quite some some time. It, it can be some seconds later to to simulate a large room or a big hall, and this played back data is then mixed together with the new generated and this requires a lot of RAM bandwidth. So mm -hmm. uh, it needs to write all these samples back and read them back every time and it's it requires so much bandwidth that even uh, the PlayStation designers decided it cannot run at 44 uh, kilohertz, it must run at half the speed. Okay. So oh, that's... <laughs> It's interesting when uh, when hearing it, I, I don't think I, I would hear the difference. That's is that what you're running? That's is that how you, how your cache strategy works? So the cache strategy actually really works uh, mainly caching all this uh, reverb functionality. And it seems like that's for where, uh, yeah. yeah for for the single single channels. So each channel will read the data sequentially. So you play back the samples, maybe at a different speed, but you play one, two, three, four. And mm -hmm. if it starts with the one and each sample is only a 16-bit, I can read back from the DDRM with, with a burst, like let's say 16 or tw uh, 32 samples already in a very small cache. So I only need this read very rare. So maybe every... 20, 40, 60 uh, sound samples is a reach required for a single channel. It doesn't require much bandwidth then. And, uh, but for the reverb, it has, I think it's 14 writes and 10 reads for every audio oh. sample. And those are random in, in the memory. So this is where the cache is really used. So if we would get rid of the reverb functionality, we could throw this cache away. <laughs> that's so interesting yeah so it and it and also because you have 24 channels that is still a lot of bandwidth to the ddr then but 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 i guess yeah. you're saying you can fill it really quickly that's interesting yes uh, but uh, it has some influence on on the gpu because uh, the gpu also uh, needs the ddr3 ram so if you run the the sound from ddr3 so with with single sd ram the gpu will be slightly slower than before so it depends on, on the situation. The worst I've seen is 10%, but it's usually more like uh, 4 to 5% slower. 
it isn't really a problem because the GPU is currently uh, faster than uh, the PlayStation's GPU anyway. But uh, you can notice it in some benchmarks. Probably not mm. in games as they are usually bound by the CPU and not by the GPU. But in some pure GPU benchmarks, you can see the difference. That's that's really a lot of, of, of juggling you've had to do there. And now that, that we talked about it a bit, has it been harder to get audio right than the GPU? Uh, it's it's two really two different things to do. For, with the GPU, you can always look at the image and it will not fade away and you can look at every pixel. And with audio, all you can do is hear. And it's really difficult because I developed everything with my emulator, which runs at very low speed. So maybe a quarter of the full speed and you can't hear to audio with that it just doesn't work you can record the audio for like 20 seconds and give it back in in five seconds later to have to have the speed correct but it doesn't work well so what i did was uh, i exported the audio samples that uh, the emulator duck station generates and I exported the same samples from my emulator and compared them so they are a bit accurate to the ones that DuckStation generates, which doesn't mean that must be uh, the truth. So the best is still to do that also on real hardware later on to verify that. But uh, I cannot um, give out the samples from real hardware that easy. So to get started, to get the, the SPU, the sound processing unit running, I choose that way and later on every single function of the of the sound processor can be verified with with hardware because of this reverb functionality you can record everything that would leave the SPU to RAM and read it out so it's really good to even have the possibility to to record uh, samples digital and and compare them with with some test but uh, it's a lot of work and I, I decided to go the way that we have sound now and get it accurate at uh, some edge cases later on. Of course, and I believe that's really wise because it's, it's already a lot of work and a lot of things to look after. And, uh, and, and regarding the, the GPU side and the CPU side, uh, what, what have you found there that's been challenging? So on the CPU side, the most challenging thing to find out is how does it work with all these uh, stages? So it, it's a five-stage CPU. So it runs, uh, it first fetches the data, decodes it, calculates with it, uh, executes memory, and writes back the result. So five things running in parallel. So it's really difficult to keep that always in, in mind, what's happening in, in the front and in the end. And if you want to find out how it works, you cannot look at emulators because they don't do it. They just mm -hmm. use a single command, maybe some tricks if it, the pipeline behavior of the CPU is required at, at some points. They do some tricks to, to mimic that, but usually uh, you can't take the information from that. You can look at the, uh, at the data sheets, but uh, they don't tell you uh, the truth for everything. So you need to find out, does that happen in stage three or four? And you need to try what's right and that was really difficult with the with the cpu so when you it, say it was try how did you try it 
So, for example, uh, what was difficult was uh, the coprocessor interaction. So, the PlayStation has uh, a geometry coprocessor, the, the GTE, which is accessed in either the third or the fourth stage, depending on which command you use. And if you don't do that right, you get some uh, geometry calculations wrong with uh, exploding <laughs> polygons and, and things like that. And it, in this case, it was try and error for most cases. And I still have some games that have this problem, and I'm not sure if it's really related to that or some other bug. But you cannot really uh, find documentation for that because it hasn't been done before, as far as I found. And is there, were there any um, open cores or any implementations of the SMIPS processor before? Not that you would use it, but was there anything you got to look at? Mm, there are some, but uh, I haven't looked at them because uh, they didn't contain these uh, special functions. And there are oh. also some other modifications to the uh, PlayStation processor. Like the data cache is not used as cache, but as as scratch pad RAM and some other changes. So it wouldn't fit to use. Uh, so this was this custom this. MIPS processor. It was based on a MIPS, but it's not used in a computer. Yeah, I would say it's it's ninety percent standard, and the other parts are, are custom. But so to actually figure out what stage something happens in, yeah, I don't know how you would do that. Would you? put a logic analyzer on the real thing and look at the bus or how would you write a test ROM or how would you, how would you figure out? So for, for most of the parts, you can see it relatively easy with, with test ROMs already because there are, for example, for this uh, GTE, um, there are, there's a test ROM that runs several millions of commands there and uh, <laughs> gives you a result if you are doing everything correct. So you can just try, is it the third or the fourth stage? Or, and you will see the, the result instantly. So, so it gets easier and easier have, as you get more of it correct, because then you have less confidence. Yes. You must have some, some feeling where it should be. So if you know it's, it's either in the third or in the fourth, then it's, it's easy to find out. If you don't know where it is at all, so for example, the, the interrupt, I'm still not 100% sure if I'm doing the interrupt correct because uh, it's really difficult to find out where does it trigger, at, at which time, which delay, and, and these things. And it's, uh, it will take some time until this behavior is really 100% accurate. Did you, I assume you used your software emulator and that test ROM to move the stages? It would be way too slow to do it on the FPGA, I would think. To recompile it. Yes, that's a great way to do that because I can create a save state before the, before the test, right before, <laughs> change something, run it, three seconds later I know the result and change it back and that's something you cannot do in FPGA. So it, it really helps to have a software solution there at this point to do that. And did you fix most that's of really those clever. bugs before you did the FPGA at all or were these bugs that people helped find in the test channel so uh, it depends um some bugs uh, so the general behavior i wanted to have correct in in the emulator before i even start implementing the fpga core so i had for example this, this gte uh, test i had running completely right in the emulator before i even started uh, the fpga core and also i wanted to have at least a decent amount of games uh, running 
before starting that. So I can be sure when I start the FPGA design, I don't have something completely different and must change it later on. And that's that's way more difficult. So um, I I did most of that before, but I still uh, encountered lots of bugs which are only present in in the hardware, because uh, some things you can't do. Things uh, like accessing memory at at several points and at the same time and things you don't always think about that when writing a software emulator because it's possible there. And if you then look in a hardware, oh, I cannot do that. I need to find another way. And at this point, when this happens, it's likely to introduce new bugs. Yeah, I had to. I was working on the Space Invaders core and. One of the ways I was able to quickly get it working was I found a really simple, I downloaded like 10 Space Invaders emulators or 20, found one that was really easy to use and I got really far figuring out the controls and the inputs and outputs. But as you say, you look at an emulator and it's just even the simplest, especially something like Space Invaders, they just load everything into RAM, <laughs> whether it's ROM or this or that, and they just mm -hmm. go crazy and you try to move it to the FPGA and and like a head scratcher in the beginning, especially if you haven't written it yourself. It's, it's kind of the difference between high-level emulation and low-level emulation in general, right? Because uh, in, in high-level emulations, you expect the results, and don't, it doesn't matter how it's made. But in, in the FPGA, in your implementation, you, you care precisely about that. Yeah, you also have some advantages in, in the software emulator, which you cannot just port over, which are... For example, things uh, you can just read twice in the memory. It's the same if you read from the memory or from some some register where you captured the last read or, or something like that. You often get lazy with, with these things. Well, I can just read again. It, it doesn't cost anything. And if you only want to stay in the software emulator forever, that's perfectly fine. Why not do that? But if you want to go to FPGA with, with the emulator later on, it's hard. Sometimes if I develop something for the emulator, I think about uh, that would be really easy to do it now this way, but I know it will hurt later on. So should I do it? And it's the fast way to get things running or should I not do it? And I always have to decide at this point. Is it worth going the hardware already in the emulator? Because <laughs> I don't get anything for that later on. Yeah, and speaking about uh, uh, he who read who is Reth asks if uh, you ever thought about optimizing the software emulator for it to be able to run on a PCF or for for on a PC for non Mister users. So I don't think it's really worth it the way I've written it. So I've, for example, the uh, emulator I've written for the GBA works about the same as the core, but. Uh, and it can run full speed and a very high-end PC. But I don't think that's really something people would want to use later on. Because you don't want to use a high-end PC which is running hot just to run a GBA. And there are <laughs> emulators available which can do it on, on really low-end hardware and run about uh, the same in, in quality and with way better features now and my emulator is, is in no way 
uh, very user-friendly. So I often just, uh, I, I don't have menu items to do something. I just change the code and compile a new. It's nothing that could be done by a user. And it would... And also, also uh, given support and releasing takes way too much time, right? All, all this UI stuff and um, it, it's just uh, that work. I, I really don't like to do that. It's it's no. <laughs> I fully understand. I like to work on on uh, on the inner things, and it, that's a great thing with with Mister. I can do that. So the, the framework is already there, and it's improved constantly. And I just can take this framework and just work on on the inner parts of the core and. Uh, it works great together. Yeah, you you immediately get shadow masks, audio filters, and resolution yeah. changes. Yeah, even even the the, the simple parts f uh, for getting started. So you have you have a USB controller you can plug into mm -hmm. and uh, get the buttons. So when I first did the GBA core, I made it on a on a different board, and I didn't have the possibility. So I wrote a, con a controller core for for my Nintendo 64 controller to even be able mm. to <laughs> to interact with the core so uh, that's something that's really easy with mister so that or loading roms uh, into the core into the sd ram and things like that to even get started it's much easier than having to do these things on your own yeah that that helps a lot indeed and uh it, it's part of uh, the getting started uh, for introducing new people, right, Alan? Yeah, definitely. It's really, it's quite nice. It also makes it easy to port things to it because we get for free, you know, so many features. It's really nice. And for the user experience, because they know what to expect everywhere, right? Well, and as um, Robert said, you know, we get joystick super easy. I mean, and analog joysticks, although the setup dialogue's a little goofy, but one I mean, we just get the joystick and it just works and we don't have to worry about the button mapping so much. It's just it's just really easy. Um yeah. And keyboard and yeah, a lot of things are are just really simple with the framework that and when you look at ports and you look at other frameworks it's just a little more complicated. Uh, uh, speaking about that, you you worked on the tape and mentioned that, but how is that managed? For, for people that don't know, uh, for instance, many don't understand that uh, audio tapes were used to load the code or, or the binary into these computers. And how is this, uh, how does a framework help you here? How can a user load a, an audio tape? And uh, how does it work? I think the tapes are still magic to me. Um, and one, my first computer was actually... Uh, Z yeah, Timex Sinclair or ZX81, I guess. And I never, ever got my tape drive working. I think my dad gave me his old tape recorder. Maybe it was dirty. Um, so I'm not a huge fan of tapes. But, um, <laughs> and they're slow and horrible. So on the Mister, there's two options. There's the ADC input, which is just an analog to digital converter um, with a little adapter board, which just gives you an audio jack. And then the core has to somehow read the tape. The tapes are basically like a modem at different baud rates, but usually around 1,200, I think, or so. And um, so that's pretty... I mean, I wouldn't say straightforward. So the core, depending on how the core worked, has to have all the code to read the tape. Um, and then the framework, 
some of the computers we load the tape straight into ram and then drop a jump location somewhere or tell the processor to jump that's how the um because let me back up when people started running emulators they had to convert the tapes from tapes to a file and as you were saying with the floppy sometimes the tapes are just wave audio the acorn tapes seem to be like that where they're mostly kind of an audio format ish um Mm -hmm. but some of the tapes and some of the tapes are missing headers and leaders and all sorts of things like in the tosec archives um but the tapes are generally just data and then there are a couple of different functions people have written that i've been sort of porting around that take make a square wave out of the data and feed it through at the right bit rate and then hopefully the core just reads it and so um and, and then, as I said, some of the emulators would just make a dump format that kind of looked like a tape or wasn't a tape. Um, like the Laser 310 core has this VZ format from the emulators, and it's basically a header. And it tells you where in memory to put it and where to jump to. Um, so that's really nice because you can just load the tape really quickly, drop it in memory, and jump. And so it's not going to take six minutes to load the tape. But some, like the TRS... 80 model one started that way where there was a hack and a special ROM, but then David changed it. So it would actually load the tape because sometimes on the tape is a tape loader. And then any tape that is special or has a tape loader won't work. If you just kind of try to shove it into Ram, that's probably too much information, but, um, and then the other thing I'll say about this is if you're going to load it audio, then the tape, let's say is 12 K long or something right before I put in the status indicator, it would just start going. Some of the cores you could, listen to the sound but you had no idea where the end was hmm. but we know where the end is so a status indicator is for me because i'm lazy and i feel like i never i don't know it's that you can't really is it actually doing something is the question so mm-hmm. and are we almost done are we there yet, yeah, it, improves, we there yet? Uh, it, it improves the user yeah. it improves the user experience to have that and not not just for you it's, it's in general of course especially for me because i'm very impatient <laughs> the other thing to do is yeah. we can like on coco we do it although i think we may have broken something we could double or triple the speed of the core like a turbo mode and then we could load the tape quicker hmm. um that's awesome audio, yeah. and then that's nice too and uh speaking about that framework and you already mentioned it a bit uh, robert uh somebody asked about chd files and iso files and there's also bq files and how does the framework help you, and how do you make that loading work? Because uh, it's 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 a CD-ROM. It's not like a floppy or or a, or, or a cart, right? Yeah, so for me, this is very comfortable at the moment because uh, uh, so so League is doing all this work in the Linux. So I can just from the core request a sector from the CD. And I will get the mm-hmm. data after some time. And everything behind, <laughs> I don't have to care for. So what's happening in, in the Linux is uh, when the user selects the file, this, this file is then opened. And when a request comes up, uh, it reads at the, at the position uh, that is requested and returns the data to the core. So it's not really something that is shared among uh, many cores, I would say, especially yet, uh, for, for the PlayStation, which needs um, a special sector size uh, read from the CD. It's, it's kind of special. It's a special implementation only for the PlayStation right now. And it will stay that way. I'm, 
maybe someday some other core can can reuse some parts of it like we can hopefully reuse some parts of the mega cd core now for for the playstation for cd audio for example but um it's it's kind of special for for many things you can just use the framework like loading uh, a bios so loading the bios uh, in in the playstation is just like loading the bios in in the gba core or the the Game Boy or whatever other core, it's it's just it's just the same. Or loading down uh, the ROM to to SD RAM, it's always working the same. But sometimes you have that special functionality where you need need a special implementation in in the Linux part. And I fear for the PlayStation that is the case for for some things. And we we also had this with the memory cards recently. Which are also now a special implementation in in the, uh, the Linux part because uh, the handling is is difficult from from normal saves which are used in other cores. And it's great uh, that I get support there because uh, hmm. if I had to do this all on my own, it would be taking way longer. Of course. And uh, speaking about the bias and. Uh how do you support uh, multiple regions? I, I I already know, but many in the public don't don't know how this uh, is supported in Mister in general. Yeah, this is this is also a special implementation in the Linux. So if you uh, put your files into a folder, let's say you have a folder NTSC, and you put uh, the BIOS inside this folder, it will get downloaded when you uh, select a CD from this folder. And uh, I think it will also look in one directory above. So you do, could do something like NTSC and then have a bunch of folders with, with the games in there. And it will look in one folder above and pick the BIOS from there. And it's really convenient if you have a folder for, for NTSC and for, for European games and they have different BIOSes. And they get downloaded every time you pick another CD. It's, it's yeah, really that's, useful. that's awesome and convenient. Yeah, and uh, they're they're also asking, uh, what about retro NAS, and uh, would that complicate things or, or make it harder? Retro NAS is uh, is basically a, a NAS, uh, it's targeted for retro systems, and uh, it would be streaming from the network. Uh, would that be an issue for for the PlayStation Core? Streaming from the network is not a problem, but I think that the retroness isn't that a, a Raspberry Pi with the. It, it can pack? be a Raspberry Pi. Okay. But so it, it could be anything in reality. So the problem with uh, data fetching for the uh, PlayStation Core is that with uh, two times uh, CD speed, you need to fetch one data sector in six milliseconds. So that's the delay you got. If you're reading sequentially for new data, it's usually not that big of an issue because you can read ahead in in the Linux already. But if you want to fetch at a random random point new data, uh, it m can be difficult to to reach this this six millisecond uh, time, especially if you are reading from a, a magnetic hard drive. And if it's also connected via USB and also via Ethernet, so for example, if you have a Raspberry Pi with a, 
uh, hard disk connected via USB and have that on the Ethernet. It's not really a fast solution. So mm -hmm. I would not choose that compared to, for example, a Turner SD card or some some uh, gigabit Ethernet connected uh, network device which uh, which has faster hard disk uh, directly connected. Yeah. And uh, as, as Robert just mentioned, Joe, he, he, these are two X uh, drives on the PlayStation against the PlayStation, the PC Engine Sega C that you've already tested. Sorry, Robert. Yeah. So from the things I used here, so I used the, the SD card and even a, a very slow uh, old uh, network attached storage with with magnetic drives, and it's only 100 megabit. Uh, connection both work fine but there have yeah. been some reports of uh, usb connected drives which have some problems from time to time so i cannot be sure at this point i haven't tried all combinations which are possible i can just say it's not 100 percent easy to have the the transfer speed all the time so you may need to take some care mm. But usually, I think for most users uh, until now, I I don't have I haven't seen any reports that that's it's uh, that it's a general problem. So maybe some some people have have some issues with especially going over Wi-Fi. It may be a problem. Mm, yeah, of course. And uh, David Shalov asks uh, something related, uh, specific to CD-ROM headset plays. He says that uh, he's not sure if reading too quickly can reveal bugs on games, but that this happened and was important on PC Engine. He's, he's worked on that. Yes, so the, the PlayStation also has some seek times which are important to some games, and I have seen that already. For example, looking at emulators, you see some... I would say hex uh, to get the the uh, CD head at the right position and what time it takes. For now, the core doesn't implement that because uh, the, mm. the model found in the emulator is is not working in FPGA. It's just uh, calculating with some floating point numbers, which wouldn't work nice in the FPGA. So I skip that for now. If it's uh, if we get to a point where things are stable and these um, this task can be can be done i will do it and uh, implement some some more accurate model for that but for now i think most games don't really care about it mm. that's that's good to know that it's not as they are not as sensitive to to that parameter yes and, um, and it's also you can notice that uh, if you use the core currently there's sometimes a little CD overlay coming up that usually only happens when the, um, when the seek drives cannot be met, which is often happening if the CD is just doing a small jump from, like, say, it's just jumping one sector backwards or something like that, mm. where the uh, Linux doesn't have any data cached for that. So, in this case, you may not re uh, meet the uh, the seek timing, but I haven't found a game yet which refuses to to work on with that. So, in a, in a real system, it can also happen that uh, yes. the timing wasn't hit or 
CD couldn't read a sector the first time, and I would say probably some games would also hang on, on a real system if that doesn't work uh, every time, but we need to see how, how good uh, we need to mimic that, and I want to, to get it better uh, at, at some point, but for now there are more important tasks. Yes, of course, because uh, just as you mentioned, uh, the, the original console already has to have uh, tolerance and the games also, right? Because CD-ROM is not, not the perfect medium, as we all know. Yeah, you would assume that most games should have tolerances, but <laughs> I fear that not all have them. <laughs> I see. Anyone in particular that you've seen? Well, I have seen some games which are already very uh, dependent on on the on the read timing. So if uh, one sector is missed, they hang immediately. So I've seen that. Wow! Especially uh, when running uh, full uh, video, full motion mm. video. So that's uh, that's happening. And one would expect that to be more tolerant, right? Because it's it's an skippable event and, and non-interactive. But I, I understand. Yeah, with. This, I think it's uh, the problem of this first-generation CD consoles. They give uh, low-level access to the game developers in a way mm -hmm. you do it today anymore. So they have access to to the inner parts of of the CD and handling everything. But today you would just say, "Read this file for me." And mm -hmm. They start the drive or stop it at, at a special point to have uh, to be near the the sector they want to read and faster access that. They all they did all kind of optimizations there for faster le uh, loading times, and I think it probably made sense with the slow drives they had back in the days to to do these optimizations, but. It also leads to all kind of problems. Like we have currently with switching CDs for 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 multi CD games, where you need to switch mm -hmm. from first to second CD, and there's no standard to check if a CD was changed. Every game implements something else. Some <laughs> check for uh, for the CD drive being open. Some check for the for the motor being off and other things. And some wait for. For some, uh, the drive must be open for one second. For the next, it must be open for three seconds. It's really uh, every developer did something else. Well, that's that's a mess, and you you just have to compile them and, and support each scenario, I guess. So, um, in in theory, if you get everything uh, working the same as the real drive did, it should be okay. But it's very hard to find out these details. So. It, it will be a long process to get there, especially with the large library. There are so many yeah. games, and if every game is doing something special with with the CD drive, it really takes long. And we can see that with the uh, CD drive um, replacements we have with with mm -hmm. the uh, cross section or PSIO, and they have a lot of issues in, in many in many scenarios. Yes issues after all those years they exist and they only rebuild the cd system not the whole core so and they still have issues so i'm <laughs> i really fear we also have some some long-term problems with with some games where we need to find out what's even happening there and it will take quite a while i cannot expect that i uh, 
get these things faster done than uh, all the others that worked before on that. Yeah, and uh, there's there's been a bunch of questions from the audience uh, related to, to the PlayStation. One is that uh, given that many arcade games were based on the PlayStation, uh, do you see any future for that? Um, it's, uh, it's difficult. I guess you're thinking about uh, the arcade systems that are based on the PlayStation hardware. Yeah, CN and uh, CN two, CN one, CN two, all those by Namco and Capcom, and yeah. So some of them are using a different uh, sound chip, so that would mm -hmm. need to be redone, uh, of course. And some uh, use larger memories, which isn't mm -hmm. that big of a problem. And the good part is that uh, I think most of them should have removed the CD drive, which is <laughs> one of the worst parts of this yeah. solar console. So I think it, it should be possible in terms of space if you re remove the CD part and maybe some don't even use the full motion video and other parts. I think it should fit in into the FPGA, but it's still a lot of work to get these things done for only few games. So I'm yeah. not sure if I would be motivated to do that because now I'm working to get thousands of games running and for some arcade system it's maybe tens. Ten, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. It's, it's a very, very small amount. Yeah, I fully understand. It's uh, it, it's coming from the Wonderswan and, and running to the PlayStation and seeing the different response and also... All the all the work that's around it with so much uh, good games, right? Yeah, and also I also have a problem with with the kind of what the the arcade games are. So I'm not a big fan of of all the shoot 'em ups or or fighting games. I never play them, so it's really difficult to fight even arcade games. I could be motivated for. Yeah, you break my heart, but that's okay. And. Uh, but but don't worry. CN one and CN two games are mostly uh, like Strider or or uh, Street Fighter. Uh, what else? There are many PlayStation games that are uh, ported to those. Uh, well, backported from the arcade boards to PlayStation. Yeah. But yes, some are, are fighting. Some are uh, just action adventure, uh, hack and slash, that kind of thing. Uh, and Tetris. You also have Tetris, the Grandmaster. Yeah, some I'm, racing, yes. I'm, I'm not sure how good these these ports are. If it's uh, it's probably not uh, not a true solution in the end. Yeah, I understand. I fully understand. And uh, they also ask if there is Rumble support. So in in theory, the core already has Rumble from the controllers. So it's uh, mm -hmm. it's decoded, and we mainly need the uh, Linux part on giving this this Rumble back to. To the real controller, so that must be done. And it's from what I understand, it's not that easy to do that. And I'm not the right one to handle that. I have no <laughs> experience with all this uh, controller stuff and and the Linux stuff. And would be great if if someone would look into that. And I think uh, Solik is uh, going to do that once uh, the core is more major. I see. And um, motion adaptive interlacing, they are asking about it, if, you, if it could be implemented. So I, I didn't look what is really required for that, but um, 
non-priority, I guess, right now. It's no no priority right now. So I still hope we get some some uh, deinterlacing solution for the scaler, which would work for mm. every core, and it's not a special solution for the PlayStation. Maybe we we get something like this. But uh, yeah, for I, for those. Sorry, for, for those interested, this this is for 480i content, specifically. Yes, and there are maybe uh, 10 or 20 games which are using that in the game itself. I think the most popular one is probably something like Tekken 3, which mm -hmm. uses it in-game, but most games only use it for, for menus, where you don't have um, moving content, so it doesn't hurt at this point, but some games it's really not nice to, to look at them on on a modern <laughs> Yeah, it's it's such a hard uh, scenario specifically. And um because well you know you're you're missing half of the information or there's a lot of stuff going on. And they also ask about multi tap for simultaneous four player uh, support and link cable between two misters. So for the net Yeah, for the multi-tap, uh, we currently have the situation that every controller that is added. So we have currently the the digital one, the analog one, the mouse, and uh, gun con controllers, and each one of them must be uh, duplicated for every connected controller. So we have two possible currently in the core, and four controller types. So we need space or logic space in the FPGA for eight controller types already. If you use the multi-tap and have four of them, it doubles again. And it will even be more complicated if we wanted the memory card support for, for a third or fourth slot. So it's really taking a lot of space in the FPGA. And I would prefer if we don't give up that space for mm -hmm. that feature, and if a really a user wants to do that, maybe we can do it with a native interface, connecting a real multi-tap with the user I.O. like we have on, on some other course and uh, handle it that way. I think it's the better solution than spending all the resources just for this feature. And I'm not sure how often it would be used in any case. So if a user really wants to use it, I think they can use the, the native interface with user.io. Yeah, because it'll get more complicated because some games are eight players, like Bomberman. So yeah. it, it would be a twofold problem, right? Yes. And for yeah, the yeah. for the serial connection, that would work in, in theory, but uh, it would also require the, the user.io port to do that. And you need hmm. adapters and everything. I didn't look into that yet. Okay, yeah, because it's it's direct hardware interaction, right? Yes. So it, it, what currently is done with that is uh, I can use the serial port already to write out um, debug information, but it's not working in the hardware, of course. So I can do this in my VHDL simulator. When, when the game is writing something to serial out, I can dump it to a file and look at it. So some games even... Uh, dumps error messages if they if they have a problem they don't just hmm. crash they dump error message it's really nice to nice have uh, not all but yeah. some do it. and this this interface works what needs to be done on a hardware is just serializing the data and 
giving it out to to the pins i don't think it's a huge task to do it but you need a connection with with a real playstation or another mister and it's quite some hardware effort to do that and i didn't look into that and yeah it's it's non-priority at the moment I'm also not that much interested in these things. I also got this uh, request for these things for the GBA core and and other mm. cores. And I think all the the hardware for that is is there. You usually don't only need to uh, to serialize the data and implement it. Maybe someone wants to do it at some point because it's not my main goal for this for this project. And uh, I'd like to mention here that. Keeping a developer interested in the stuff that he wants or feels like doing is 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 important because it it helps a lot in the mental state because this is very demanding task. Can I ask a question about the uh, multi-tap? Yeah, please. So you said that there are how many types? You have a gun, uh oh, an analog so, and a digital. Did you say there's and a the mouse? A mouse. And I'm going to ask a really naive question, although I do have a real multi-tap lying around here somewhere. Um. In most cases, do you need a gun on all four or eight? Probably not, right? No. So maybe probably not. not probably two X. Yeah, probably it could be uh, could be reduced on on the further slots or something else. The, there are also ideas to to rework this whole system to not duplicate if you have more slots, but have a. Have a better solution for that it saves uh, resources but it's all work and i haven't thought about that yet because the current it's system very low. works it's very low on the list i was just curious because yeah. it might make sense to just have um yeah maybe just have two more controllers just pick analog or pick digital or put out a poll or something and not yeah yeah, maybe for for some some games that's already enough. I'm not sure even how many controllers are supported by Mister. If you could even do eight, I don't know about eight. Eight. I think, oh, oh, look, I'm curious. Yeah, so far as I know, eight, but it could be more. No idea. Oh, okay. So maybe and, we um, at some point, but uh, for now, uh, I think we we can live with with the two controllers for for the next month. Yeah, sure. specific. Definitely. And specifically, since you're working on on accuracy, right? Sorry, Alan. No, I, I definitely don't. Not important, but um, there are six analog left, six analog right, but that's one stick. So six controllers right now. Hmm. Okay. Thank you. And uh, Alan, uh, there was a question uh, that says, uh, "What do you think of the life cycle of the current Mister hardware?" I'm just thinking, Mister reaches ceiling and evolved to Mister to be able to support more modern cores. Are we getting to Mr. Ceiling and what would get next hardware look like? Is this something that is already discussed among the Mr. Developer community? I'd say not much is going to happen as there's no supply of anything right now. Um, of course. COVID thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, we think about it. I, I don't, I don't, I think that I'll say two things about it. Yes, I did buy another board which had like a seven month lead time and came pretty quickly. Um, it's just sitting in my box, in a box still. I never took it out, but um, I, yeah, I, hopefully we don't need two SD RAMs, and hopefully we don't need a new Mister for a while. And I think Robert should answer this because he's the one who's most likely to write the next core that needs a bigger Mister. Um, but from my perspective and what I'm interested in, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of computers and systems that 
it. So I, I don't feel... I mean, if you had infinite hardware, of course, you could do more things or things easily, more easily. But I don't see it as a big issue. Um, and yeah, we'll get there eventually, but maybe when we get out of this shortage, there'll be some new board that's cheap. Because Alexei's really good at picking the right price performance. Like he, he, And he has one of everything. Like If there's another board that this could be built on, that would be awesome. I'm, I'm sure he'll port it. Um, I'm going to add to what you said, that this uh, shortage is not just short-term. Uh, we, we've uh, slowed down in everything as a civilization in terms of uh, distribution, accessibility, and that also slows down what can be pushed. We've, we've already seen that uh, many things are being shipped with older processors, older FPGAs, even uh, 68,000 and C80 have been having some action uh, for, for products, right? So given that and what Alan also said about uh, a lot of systems and a lot of arcade boards and a lot of accuracy and perfection that can be done, I don't see it as a necessary jump uh, in, the, in the short term. But what do you think, Robert? So I would say uh, the console course are... We're nearly done with all the console cores that can be, so, so the modern ones that can be done on the hardware, I would say. So we will not see Nintendo 64 on the hardware, we will not see the Nintendo DS or even things ab above that. So like, like the Dreamcast or, or something like that. But on the other hand, it's also very difficult to even talk about these cores because they are more and more complex. So if I look back, I, mm -hmm. it took me some months to work on the Lynx or in, on the Wonders one. And if I talk now about the PlayStation, which will cover way more than a year for me already, to, to get it at the state where, where games are well playable. And then when you go to the next generation, who should do that? We don't have an endless supply of... of uh, of developers with experience to to do these these systems where you would need teams already to to create them so it's not only that the hardware is uh, at the limit but also our development capabilities are at the limit i, I don't think we <laughs> we probably would need to work together with with many people to get something like like a dreamcast or even even playing some games so it's not just the hardware at, at this point mm -hmm. But I think we have uh, a good community here to improve the things we have now and to make these things that can work on the Mr. work well and even better than, uh, than they are working today. And we can still improve a lot here. And I don't think we will switch to, to new hardware anytime soon. Agreed. Completely agreed. And uh, reverse, I, I'm, I'm already impressed by... by to being able to work on a PlayStation, I I, I think that uh, there are so many things uh, to be documented and voids to be filled, uh, because documentation I'm sure has not been perfect, and uh, even for for older stuff, Alan can tell us about all the voids that we have, and uh, not uh, there's there's not a single person that understands a complete system, even even back then, right? Not fully. And uh, to make these cores, that's what has to be done. Yeah, it's it's really cores. difficult. There are a lot of cores that aren't done. I mean, if you think about it, and, and Robert, just like 
you can give me a thumbs up, thumbs down whether you think these are possible. Uh, I mean, we don't have a Xerox star, so that's definitely possible. We don't have, um, we have a Mac Plus and we have a Mac SE on Mist, almost on Mac, on uh, here. We don't have a color Mac. We don't have, for both Amiga and Mac, um, 68,000 processor that has an MMU or an FPU, which I think is doable. It's a lot of work. But then that would open up a lot of things. We don't have a color Mac. We don't have a PowerPC Mac might be at the edge of possible. Um, and those are just like kind of US-centric things that I'm used to. What, what do you think we're missing, Robert? Because I think there's a bunch of obvious things. Next, we don't have a Next. Hmm. We sort of do, I guess, maybe. In the Spark Station. We're probably missing all of the SGIs. HPs. So there are SGI. Probably <laughs> way more computer cores missing than, than console cores, for sure. For That's... consoles, you have Virtual Boy, you have 32X, you have PCFX, you have 3DO, you have Jaguar, you have, of course, all the Japanese computers are basically consoles like the X68000 that's there. You have yeah. PC88. But even yeah, with this course, you already realize, so for example, the 3DO, which is maybe a little bit less complex than the PlayStation, but I'm not sure if that helps much because it's way less uh, documented, no good emulator available to, to research things. It's less popular. Less, yes. But even with, with that system, it's hard to find someone who will do that, who will spend, mm -hmm. let's say, one year, two years to work on this, because it's not that popular, but you need a lot of effort uh, to get these, uh, these uh, newer systems running. So this system would be probably possible in the MISTER, but who will do that? Who will spend two years of, of their life for, for such a system? And I think that's, uh, that's even more of a problem if we would go to, to newer ones, because uh, people would have to be committed for, for many years to get them working. And I don't see that happening anytime soon. The, I think uh, the, the community would yeah, need the, to grow uh, way more to, to make that possible. Also, like the the Mac Lisa or Apple Lisa is another one, and and I've looked at the emulator a few times, but you run it, and there's just not so much software for it. So super important historically, but it is hard to think about. The Laser 500 um, is on Mist, but I tried to port it quickly, but it, I can only find you know like 12 pieces of software for it. That, hmm. So some of these that have no software it just seems barely barely worth working on. Yeah, I agree. Popularity of the systems doesn't help. CDI, they mentioned, and uh, the quality of the software also doesn't help in general in many systems. Robert, what's your next, like, you did that poll and everything. What, what are some systems that you would want to work on after PlayStation? So I will for sure <laughs> not work on any uh, system that is that large <laughs> next. <laughs> <laughs> Something smaller. Yeah, so I think PlayStation will cover easily the whole year now. So I, I hope we have some, some official release in summer with uh, many games working well, but uh, there are so many games and so many things that need to be researched. And I don't think I, will, I can just leave the project when, let's say, 90% of the games are running. I, I cannot run <laughs> away. So I, I, I can only I can only imagine that you see it as an avalanche just falling towards you. It, it was one of, of the one of the reasons 
I was struggling with starting this project in the first place because I looked at the popular emulators that were available and how many games they still cannot run after all these years. So I assumed that are probably probably also open bugs I will have even after spending one or two years on this project. And it's really not a, a nice situation to to start a project and you know it's really difficult to even bring it to an end and it would take very long so i will not do that uh, decision in the next one or two years what, what do you think percentage wise where are you right now with uh games running with well games running i would say maybe oh, it's hard to say maybe 60 to 70 percent are running but most of them still have some bug somewhere, I would say. Some games can be completed without finding any serious bug. I completed myself two games yet, but uh, I think it's uh, way... Uh, it, it will take way longer until we get an official release that is stable enough to, to give it to everyone and say you can report every bug you can find and because uh, currently it would just overflow the, the issue list on github yeah i can completely see that and uh we also had uh, another question uh, a while ago by lemonichi that says uh it's a bit more general question uh, if the Raspberry Pis are seen some of the use as a per peripherals uh, to offload some of the processing, like MT32Pi, Sinden, etc., are there any other applications of offloading you think would be plausible, useful, or would just generally like to see? So, uh, if, if that question goes to me, I would say, if, if personally, I don't see any usage of that, for at least not for, for the things I work on. Because the, mm -hmm. the whole communication part is is just taking so much effort. So all the things that are difficult to do, like um, let's say a CPU in in the system, I wouldn't uh, want to offload that. And for the things that are easier to do, I can do them in the core. I think for mm -hmm. the uh, for the MT32, it's useful because. The audio can be attached to the system. You can send the commands there and it's working just as the original one does, which is also external, if I'm right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it works there. So if we, let's say some, some, just some thought. If you want to attach something that was also attached to, to the original system, like, for example, <laughs> a, a Game Boy printer, let's say something like that. Like that. Well, or do you remember the, the PlayStation uh, cards that you could uh, plug in the back and you could emulate uh, Game Boy and <laughs> NES games? you remember yeah. those? For, for these things, it's, it would be good. I think it, that's a good case because you don't spend all the, uh, the logic in the core for, for an application that is attached to the original system anyway via a, a slow connection. So I wouldn't offload anything that was uh, was communicating internally in in a console with with high speed. So only for things that are connected um, externally. That's I, my I, opinion. 
I would add to that and say I agree 100%. And then when you look at what's external, I think the MIDI solution is amazing. And I think they've done a great job with that. I need to get one still. But otherwise, they, I think the magic of Mr. is that we do it on the Linux side, which really is not that taxed. And other than the input latency sort of issues, it doesn't really matter how much CPU we use. Um, and that's where you know I think of, um, you know, I had to like decode the tape data for um, the electron, and that's was trivial. And I'm trying to think what else we do on the, you know, if we wanted to do a printer, you would do it. I would think just on the Linux side, the printer emulation, which would be cool. We do the serial emulation in the and the PPP on this on the Linux side. So I think the obvious solution is to just use the arm that's already there for almost everything, because mm-hmm. of what Robert said, which is it's only good for a slow link. So what is there that's a slow link, you know, that uses a lot of CPU? So the MIDI is one thing, but otherwise, you know, it's hard to think of other things. Yeah, but it's it's good that, that the possibility exists. Now, I know the other possibility instead of having a second SD RAM would be to put GPIO to a Raspberry Pi and try to do some of the, like there are those Amiga hacks where you replace the processor of the Amiga with the Raspberry Pi. And then there are a lot of... Mm-hmm. SCSI emulators now that work off of either Raspberry Pi or um, Arduino. But again, we can probably just do the SCSI emulation in a little bit of logic and the FPGA or and or with the Linux side. So I don't know how useful that is. Now, um, regarding the testing and reporting, uh, Robert, uh, you have a, a huge menu for, for debug in the core right now. And also, you have posted uh, the, the specifics for people to, to test that way. But what would be useful for people that are willing to help on testing, reporting stuff? What, what's, what, what do you need? Well, it really depends on the situation. So currently, for example, I'm working on a new feature. So the bug reports that come in, I can only note them down. I cannot work on the bugs and on the new features at the same time. But... What's really helpful is uh, when I'm working on a bug is to have the communication with someone who fi- finds the bug. So ask questions again and if they can, they usually have a better way to reproduce these things than I have. So even if I get, a, a, for example, a safe state where it, it happens, maybe it already, uh, the problem is already there and I cannot... Um, cannot see the reason why it happened and it's good to have the communication and that's why it's great that we have the the test channel now so we had a lot of uh, success with that implementing the the cd commands and fixing the bugs uh, already and it worked really well much better than uh, the github reports we we had with uh, I had with with previous course where someone dumps uh, a screenshot and a description and I have to find out how does it work now or I ask a question and next day I get next day I get a response and in this channel it works really well and usually uh, it's very short communication about someone finds it and I ask some question and it gets uh, get a response for, from them and. I think that works best, and it's really hard to say report in this or that way, and it will help. It's it really depends on the case. Yeah, and, and speaking about this same topic, Alan, 
So uh, maybe the best way to, to collaborate in the documentation for, for the PDF uh, that we're talking about and the cheat sheets and everything is, is via Discord as well? I'm happy if anyone wants to do it. I've, I've posted the test build up there. Maybe I don't have my own channel, but I don't think people are as excited about the PDFs as the PlayStation. So. <laughs> but but they should be. Uh, I, no no uh, I don't think so. I think PlayStation's exciting. I've still I gotta get my um, unfortunately I'm rehabbing my knee after an injury, but um, I've got to get my dance dance pads out and hooked up. So I'm I'm ready. I should probably hook them up and make sure it works. <laughs> yeah, DDRs and and you you need the snack connectors for that. No no I don't think so. I've got a USB like downstairs already oh. USB adapter. So we'll see if that works. It should work. Especially because Mr. should be able to remap it, so it should be easier than last time I tried to use it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But speaking about uh, the excitement about PDF, um, I believe that there's obviously two groups for which it's different, uh, exciting. For, for the enthusiast that wants to help grow the project, uh, the PDF is, is really exciting. I understand that for the general user that just wants to play games, uh, the PlayStation is, is, is more exciting, but it, it doesn't make it uh, less important or, or for a different public. PlayStation, of course, will be uh, uh, very, very interesting because a lot of people grew up, we grew up with, with uh, PlayStation. Speaking of that, uh, which games on PlayStation did you play back in the day? Alan? I did not have a PS1 until after I had a PS2. I got a PS1 on vacation that was uh, modified to run Japanese games so I could play DDR. Um, so I think PlayStation 1 and 2, I almost exclusively paid, played uh, DDR. And then PlayStation 2, I played a little bit of SSX Tricky and GTA would be my favorites. Mm, nice. You, you, Robert? So I also didn't have a PlayStation at that time. So I had a Nintendo 64. And sometimes a, a friend of mine had a PlayStation rented from someone else, and he also didn't have one. And we played some Final Fantasy VIII, and that's the only game I can remember from 20 years ago that I have seen. I played some other games in, in emulator over the years, but uh, I never really played that much on the system before. That's interesting. Anything that you found that's interesting for you? So I already have a, a large list of games I want to try. So every time I see something interesting, I note it down. So when the call is ready, I will, I will take a look and see which which games I want to play. Nice. And uh, you were you were saying, Alan? I interrupted you. Sorry. No, I don't think so. I play DDR ah. and I like I mostly PlayStation Two stuff. So SSX and GTA and I like racing games. So a bunch of the racing games and. Need for Speed, uh, the Sony racing games. I did play a bunch of PlayStation games back in the in the day. I'm sure that you'll love playing Om um, Jammer Lammy, uh, Robert, and also Parappa. <laughs> After work, that they'll take you. I don't know if Parappa has the same issues as as Om um, Jammer Lammy. Probably not. From from yeah. what I heard, they they have the same issue. So not the if, same issue. Okay. If you do bad in the game, it will hang. So you must be good currently. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm really bad. I love it, but I'm really bad, so it'll hang on me. But there's there's a lot of stuff that I love in this in this console. I uh, I even worked in a translation for a game here in the, the Polysnots. Uh, I have to test that still. I I, I the first uh, games I I tried on on your core were Ghost in the Shell, 
and um, Castlevania uh, Symphony of the Night. Those are the first two I, I, I immediately tried. But I have a, a queue of several things, uh, like R4. I, I love the Die Hard Trilogy game on, on the PlayStation. Uh, a lot of RPGs like Alundra, Breath of Fire, Metal Gear Solid. I'm, I'm a big Kojima uh, fan from 20 years ago. I recall playing Final Fantasy the demo with a lot of people, so there's a bunch of memories here. Silent Hill, I, I want to play Silent Hill here and, and check out how it works and, and, uh, yeah, after I, all these years. I think for, for most of them, uh, you still need to wait some, some time before they're running fine. Yeah, I did. Uh, the, ones, the, two, the two that I did run, uh, most of the time, I mean, when, when I first installed it, ran pretty well, so I had no issues with them. I had luck, and <laughs> on my my excitement, the first ones I selected were run fine, no issues. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So I was really wow. <laughs> this 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 runs everything I threw at it, and and maybe I was lucky, but it it was awesome for me at least. Yeah, man. Really maybe enjoyed I'm, it. Maybe I'm a bit biased because uh, I look in the in the test chain every day, and I see reports over reports of of games not working. <laughs> maybe the situation is. You never get the reports of all the ones that work. Yeah, that's true. That's uh, that bias is true every every single time. Because I I as well tried like four or five games, and at first the first few versions nothing. I wouldn't say nothing worked. They didn't get very far. But I feel like the last mm -hmm. time I installed it, I think every game I went and played, I didn't have. Maybe I wasn't good enough to crash, but I don't know. <laughs> also, it's it's. Uh, I have my mister here in my development environment. I haven't taken it down to my playground for a while. And and that also affects the way that you play, right? Yeah. It's it's quite different. And um, we were, we were talking about uh, the how do you decide the the order to work on features, uh, Robert? So I usually decide depending on what's uh, needed next by some game or some some functionality. For example, the the BIOS in in the PlayStation needs pretty much everything. The uh, the console can offer so i had uh, the first games running fine even before even uh, being able to show the bios so that was it's it's crazy how how much uh, effort they put into and uh, it's that was mainly the the reason i, I choose all, all these things so i get to a certain point in the bios and see okay and now i need the geometry unit or of course, I, I, uh, the CPU and the rendering is, is needed first, otherwise I cannot see anything. Mm -hmm. But uh, the features, I, I use them as they, as they come up. So if, if the CPU accesses the DMA and it's not there, I go for that. I usually don't design every component to the end. When I when I start with that, so for example, with the GPU, I only designed the the part that can write pixels directly from the CPU because that's what uh, most of the test drums are doing. They write, hmm. they use the VRAM just as a frame buffer and write there from the CPU and don't really use the GPU at all. So you, you just need to pass the data through. And that was the, the part of the GPU for, for quite some time. So even the, uh, the PS Nick demo. I'm not sure if you have seen that. It was the first 3D you could see on on the 
on the core where uh, a demo where you go through some some tubes and some uh, installation and even that is only uh, some pixel pushing from the CPU and it doesn't need that much of the of the GPU yet so um, whenever something new comes up and I need it now I try to do that mm. and I, I don't do whole modules in themselves and verify them and later plug all these modules together because my experience is that this doesn't work in the end I will yeah, it leads to more frustration I have so many problems plugging these components uh, together and I need to to work on on small parts before so plugging this a part of two components together and if that works I can build around that and let it grow but not having all these components and set them together and now it must run and of course it will not run because the integration of all that is like 50% of the work and it doesn't uh, work so easily hmm. I think that's unfortunately what happened to Lexar too is he he really was against trying to get any build sort of end-to-end -end working on the mister or his development platform until really late and i think that just if nothing else like i think it's a psychological problem you don't see anything working yeah yeah that's that's a uh, down putting when when that happens it's really frustrating and in, a, in any kind of project right and uh, I, I mean it could be like exercising or whatever uh, you, you need to have uh, some results to to keep you going yeah even being able to do something small, like uh, when I was able to load a safe state from my emulator in the core and could run around in Spyro in the first world on the <laughs> core. It was so amazing to see that. It just gives so much motivation to, to work on, on, on this project if you have something like this running. And, and, and what did you do immediately? Did you show it to somebody else? Yeah, I created a video and posted on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> that's mm -hmm, what mm -hmm. of course of course ah that that's that must have felt so good i, I remember that time yeah it's uh, and, it's great uh, i can show it to someone so uh i can show it to my daughter and she's halfway interested but uh, <laughs> yeah it's not the same because this is a specialized community right you, you show it in social media and, and then the specialized community is the one that reacts yeah that, that's great and uh, there, there was this question that uh, it's been uh, running in the chat for, for a few minutes. It's uh, that he has pro previously seen mostly negative reception to the main Mr. user interface and user experience. Redesigns or changes? Why you do, do you think this is? Uh, I'm Personally, I, I love it being lean and easy. I love it the way that it is. I don't want... Uh, clutter but i i understand that to many it's not clutter how how do you feel so i really like the interface how it is and um, it's really easy to navigate there so if i use for example i use some some emulator on a pc i always have to uh, switch from the from the controller to the mouse and click mm -hmm, here and mm -hmm. there and it doesn't work that nice so i even kind of copied the interface for my emulator 
So something like loading a ROM works exactly the same as in the Mister, because <laughs> I I really like that that uh, kind of interface. What do you think, Helen? So I think there's a lot of room for improvement. I think there's sort of three levels of improvement. I think the first level is, and I should disclaim that even though I feel like I never use it, I do have a master's in human computer interaction. I can't even say it, HCI. Um, so I definitely think about UIs, um, although I tend not to really, I didn't really do that for my career so much. Um, I think the first level is everyone, not everyone, there's a group of people, I should say, that, and I think we all, most of us agree on this, that don't want a flashy UI or some more complicated UI. And then that's, I would say, doubly complicated by the fact of, do we want it to work on 15 kilohertz video? So very, very, very low resolution. Or is it just HDMI? Or is there something in between? Um, but then we end up in this sort of like Raspberry Pi, MAME front end, um, hyperspin sort of thing, which, I, again, I don't think we have the horsepower for it. I don't think anyone wants to spend the time or energy or horsepower on that. And And I think a lot of us have spent years setting up a hyperspin just like getting the images right and it's just kind of messing around to not to mess around so i think there's sort of that set of ui which i think most people aren't interested in i think there's a way to do that that doesn't kill mister which is um like make it optional and maybe a core itself but we won't talk too much about that i think the other side that i'm interested in and keeping interested in is kind of twofold one from a software engineering perspective core works it doesn't crash it doesn't seem to leak memory so we shouldn't really monkey with it but it's very hard to add menu options um so i think it could be somewhat rewritten but not look any different and it might make it easier for us to add menus and there are a couple of ui elements that would be nice like a maybe text entry or a spinner because it would be nice to be able to do wi-fi natively and some of these other things maybe it's not important um and then there's other ux stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with pixels which is like the joystick um setup which is now much better because someone added the whole thing that looks like a gamepad which is unbelievably much better but no one including developers who know well including me yesterday can set up the analog joystick like i was testing a core <laughs> and it didn't work and the analog joystick wasn't set up right and i had screwed it up so it's just broken um i've argued with Alexi about this a bunch and he doesn't think it's broken so we'd have to replace it with something that's amazing and just do it and then hopefully he'll begrudgingly accept it but there's a lot of little things I know I think Sentient wants like I think like a back button in a couple places and a few people want it like when you mount an image it would be nice if maybe the text changed and said the name of the image it's mounted instead of like having to click on it again and then hit then it pops up to where it was does that make sense so there's just a little little things that I think are re would be much nicer. So we sh we should we need to think about that. Yeah, it's a, a hard uh, balance problem, and uh, different levels as you mentioned. And, and the PDF is part of that because I went around in circles and I actually implemented help in the OSD as text, and it was really quite miserable. <laughs> um, and I actually rewrote or started to rewrite the entire user interface as just an idea. Well, I did a whole web interface and a built-in web browser built into Mr. And that's a fork on my GitHub somewhere at one point. And then I kind of agreed with Alexi that I couldn't really come up with a use for it. Like what did we need the web server built into the Mr. Binary for? Like what did we really need it for? Barely, right? Um, 
what 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 would it allow, allow to do that you couldn't do right now? Yeah, I don't think anything. Um, at the time, it was like to have a graphical installer before we had all the nice install scripts, and it also gave us like a REST API, so you could launch a core at a game, get a screenshot. You could remote test stuff on Mister because you could be at work and test it at home potentially. Um, so it had a couple nice things like that. You could control the OSD and all the keys and stuff through the you know, gamepad, the HTML gamepad. Um, but not useful, right? Um, I also, yeah, went down this long frame buffer ra uh, rabbit hole of finding a bunch of different drawing libraries for embedded devices and Raspberry Pis to draw on the screen. And I started to implement a UI. And then you run into this issue, well, it's only going to work on frame buffer, so then it only works on HDMI. And then as Robert just said, but then you maybe you need a mouse or you need... Yeah, anyway, it just got so ugly and complicated that it just was bad. Um, yeah. So much work. <laughs> so much work. But sometimes you can only figure out the stuff after implementing it, right? Yeah, I think so. And I do think, yeah, if we look at what Jimmy did with the input tester, I think it's pretty amazing. And so I think there is a balance where we can have a UI that's more like that. And um, yeah. Nice. Okay, uh, we are getting to a close for the allotted a lot of time. Of course, we can we can stay longer if you want to, but uh, for for those that have reached this this moment and uh, for the stuff that we've covered, that I know that we just scratched the sur the surface of your work both and on what has been done this year. I'd like to thank you for for your work personally and uh, for the time that you've spent uh, talking about your work with us. Yeah. Thank you very much for, for hosting us here. No, no, not at all. I, I, I love, uh, I hope that I wasn't as, as dull as I imagined myself being this time, because I, I, I don't cover the, the, the subjects as, as widely as you do. But uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for your time. It's been amazing. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that we, we can cover regarding uh, your work uh, right now. Uh, Alan, Robert, and... Uh, well, this this community, everyone is. Uh, it's been amazing. Thank you very much, Trainix, Sentient Six. Thank you for 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 these uh, events and everybody that's been in the chat. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you.